0: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter. At Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. And top of the morning to you, man. Great day. Tons of uh, information, tons of news for you today. <laughs> Interestingly, some of it quite, uh, quite quirky. I'm sure you heard about the Donster, the Don taking on uh, Jorge Ramos, the anchor reporter from Univision. Don taking him on. You got to follow the rules when you're in a press conference with the Don or he'll dismiss you and then bring you back. Anyway, another uh, interesting chapter in the Don story. One of the things I think you're, we're going to notice is that Don gets ratings. He not only gets great polls, but he gets great ratings. He talks about them all the time. And because he gets such great ratings, it seems like a lot of what he does is for the ratings. Some people start to wonder, is this just all about Ratings? Well, interesting thing, uh, you would think that, you know, I I think what it is, it it reminds me of like car accidents. I used to be an EMT on an ambulance, and I'm telling you, I never felt more famous than when I'd be picking up a body (laughs) or picking up somebody at at an accident scene because everybody's got to slow down and just pull over and check out that crazy scene. And I think that's what we do with the dawn, right? The dawn. You just never know what's coming up next, and uh, honestly, can you imagine if Donald Trump, if he became the president of the United States, can you imagine every single day another incident? It every day, there's something new every day, and um, the interesting thing is, he just he just he is the Energizer Bunny. I don't know what it is. It's something that everyone's so attracted to. And then the media has to talk about him. He bends Megyn Kelly from Fox News again, right? So he he goes totally against everything that you've seen. He he went against the biggest Hispanic uh, news organization, Univision, and their biggest reporter. Took him on. Just beat him up took on Megan Kelly from the the number 1 channel for conservatives where which are all the people that he's trying to get to elect him he takes them on now he's brilliant or he's just crazy what is it and then oh man i saw a story about how he wants 10 million dollars to do the CNN um the CNN debate, debate. 10 million dollars not for him for his charity and I'm thinking, you're running for president, man. You're running
2: for president. It's a new day.
1: Well, but I get great ratings. It's not about your ratings. You're running for the presidency of the United States. Are you kidding me? <sighs> anyway, more of the Donster. I mean, it's just it's just never ending. I sit there. I really I try to figure out if he was the president, everybody would be terrified. I mean, who wouldn't be terrified? Everybody. <laughs> It would be the scariest thing in the world. Would he throw people out of the that are in the press out of the press corps? Would he just kick him out of the? I mean, that doesn't happen,
2: but it does with Don.
1: But Don. But, but Dawn and again, they just the the media just keep eating him up. They can't get enough of him. So
2: people want to watch him.
1: They want to watch him. Um, guess what day it is today? Um, <laughs> sit, boy. Sit, sit, boy. It's
3: Happy Dog Day.
2: Oh, I love dogs. Dogs, aren't they cute? I've got dogs. Do you have dogs? I
1: don't have dogs because my wife uh, doesn't Mm -hmm. want to attach to a dog and then have it die.
2: Oh, that is hard. But I think your one week of really hard crying over that...
1: Yeah. ...is
2: worth the 15 years you had with your dog. Was
1: it worth the two years of picking up doggy doo-doo?
2: That's the hard part for sure. (laughs) Or having your kids be trained to pick up the doggy doo-doo. That's even harder. See,
1: yeah. I, I, I think the problem is... You would think the dog would live 15 years, but at our house, I'm not sure he would, because I think our kids would be hard on a dog. They hug really tight. Just, oh. They <laughs> hug they'd tight. they'd
2: feed it, right? They'd feed it and...
1: Well, no.
2: Oh. That's, well, that's, a, tr- that's a problem.
1: It, by the way, did you have a dog growing up? Yes, I did. I think they're important. You're, yes, you, I, I too. Greatest, my best friend was my dog. Yeah. Buddy. Cutest little thing. Every day I'd come home after school. I was a latchkey kid, because my mom worked, and my Dad, they, my parents divorced so I'd come home and my cute little dog would be always just sitting right there waiting for me at the back door and it didn't matter there mm-hmm. he is in fact you can hear him Yep, he's the cutest oh, buddy
2: straight from heaven
1: and then I'd walk in the house and he'd lick me oh he'd lick on me and he'd kiss me and oh sit down down boy down. whoa 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 <laughs> down boy
2: that sounds like a little dog. He did you have a mad. little dog? I
1: had a little dog. Okay. He was cute, a little Maltese poodle. And then,
2: oh, I have one too. Did you? yes, Perfect a Maltese poodle. Yeah. love it. It
1: was, but see, the, yeah, it was, he was cute.
2: Yes, those are cute. Then dogs. I'd
1: go reach my little, you know, eight-year-old boy finger in my peanut butter jar, <laughs> and I'd get peanut butter oh, out, no. and I'd put it on the roof of his mouth.
2: That's cruel. That he was,
1: was, oh, he'd nah. lick. trying to get it off. Yeah, for about an oh, hour. Yeah, it was that's so mean. funny. And then, you know, 15 years later, he died of heart disease.
2: Mm, I wonder why.
1: I have no idea. I thought he was healthy. <laughs> he was the cutest little dog. So, yeah, dog day. I, I really would love to talk my wife into getting a dog again. But
2: poo all the way. Ugh. I have a poodle, too.
1: Aren't they cute? Yeah. See, poodles don't seem masculine enough for me.
2: Yeah, Maybe more... it's a male Well, because I done. have all boys, I have female dogs. So, you know, I oh, wanted something, yeah. something girly in there because I yeah. have nothing.
1: Mine was, yeah, mine was still kind of girly.
2: <laughs> the Maltipoo's yeah. girly? Well, my, it was a boy? Well, yeah,
1: but because he, he'd always carry around my sister's furry slipper.
2: Yeah, that. Yeah. I think
1: they were dating. It was the weirdest thing. Um,
2: you didn't know it's a transgender dog. <laughs> I had no
1: idea. It was so weird. I thought it was Buddy, but it's actually <laughs> Betty. <laughs> hey, Betty, cutest can be. Had no, an I underbite too. Yeah, no, I, Betty. Think, I think it's Betty, honey. <laughs> Anyway, happy dog day to you. Let's turn it over to Kathy Aiken find out what's going on in the headlines.
2: Another roller coaster ride for global markets today. Asian stocks were mixed as China's benchmark Shanghai Composite Index closed down 1.3%. The apparent inability of Chinese regulators to stabilize the markets has investors worried. Here's analyst Art Cashin.
4: You will see markets trading around up and down for several days. These things are rarely resolved on a single day.
2: The Dow fell over 200 points yesterday, extending Wall Street's losing streak to six days, the longest stretch in more than three years. Donald Trump had a journalist from Telemundo removed from his Iowa press conference last night when he stood up to ask a question about deportation. Here was the reporter. His name is Jorge Ramos. Does Trump have a question
3: about immigration?
4: Okay, who's uh, next? Yeah, please. Excuse me. Sit down. You weren't called. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. down. Go ahead. No, you don't. You haven't been called. Go back to Univision. The reporter
2: was later let back in the room and asked Trump about his immigration policy. Here was Trump's response.
4: The rest we're going to do. And remember, you use the word "illegal immigrant." Okay. Well, you should use it because that's what the definition is.
3: All
4: human being is illegal. Mr. Okay. Uh, well, when they cross the border from a legal standpoint, they're illegal immigrant when they don't have their papers.
2: This morning on the Today Show, Trump said Ramos was totally out of line and added, he himself is not a bully. Before that exchange, a new public policy poll showed Donald Trump with a huge lead in New Hampshire. Trump has more than tripled his closest opponent with 35 percent compared to John Kasich at 10 percent. Carly Fiorina is third at 10 percent. Those three weren't even included in a poll taken there in April. Since then, Scott Walker has plummeted from 24 percent to just 7 percent. Alexander Scarlatos, one of three Americans who helped subdue an armed man on a Paris-bound train will be awarded the Soldier's Medal, one of the U.S. Army's highest honors given for heroism. Scarlatos is a National Guardsman in Oregon. The suspect, by the way, in the incident now faces multiple counts of attempted murder and possession of weapons. The Pentagon is reportedly opening an investigation into alleged distorted intelligence information on ISIS. At least one analyst has accused officials at U.S. Central Command of altering intelligence assessments of the U.S. fight against ISIS to make them more optimistic and fit certain agendas and policies changing those assessments violates u.s rules and matt burger king is looking for a Mm one-day truce with mcdonald's burger king took out a full page ad in new york in the new york times and chicago tribune asking if the two companies could open up a little pop-up store midway between mcdonald's and burger king in an atlanta parking lot Mm. so they'll sell the mcwhopper
3: Oh, So wow. here's how
2: it'll work. Yes. Yeah, so the, it'll have the Big Mac top bun, Big Mac sauce, tomato, and Burger King's four-ounce Whopper patty. The proceeds would be donated to a nonprofit group that raises awareness of international peace. Nowhere cool. yet for McDonald's, but I'm kind of guessing they can't say no when the yeah, money's oh, going yeah. to it's a non yeah. yeah. Uh-huh.
1: King yeah. McDonald.
2: Yeah. Burger. The McWhopper.
1: The McWhopper. And
2: I'm thinking that four-ounce Whopper, I'm pretty sure when that started was a little bigger. Have you noticed oh, that, no, how much smaller it is?
1: Everything – either that or our hands are getting a lot bigger. <laughs> My hands are <laughs> getting
2: huge
1: because that Big Mac, when oh, I no, – That I, was that huge used to be a when Big that first Mac. came out.
2: That was huge. And have you now ever it's... like
1: taken the buns off of a Big Mac and seen what the patty looks like? Mm-mm. It's like a half dollar. It's like a quarter. <laughs> it's like a half dollar. Do they even have half dollars anymore? Yeah, like kind of,
2: I loved – you know, where is that Wendy's commercial? Where's the beef? It's kind of that, yeah. right? It's like – Where's the yeah,
1: beef? It makes me sad. Yeah. Because well, we
2: want more food. <laughs> we'll have to I mean, buy Whopper two now. Is a
1: cool idea. Yeah, that's it is. great.
2: Yeah, let's oh, just do it that's one day, so cool. and all the money go to charity. Ooh, so. and then
1: there's see this could go everywhere. Yeah, like Panda Express and Taco Bell, Panda Bell. <laughs> you could have uh, those aren't
2: kind of similar. McDonald's and Burger King are similar. You have to get similar. Why?
1: Why? 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 Because why? they're
2: similar. Ah, uh,
1: see, you're making it too hard. <laughs> That's a cool idea.
2: So, panda chicken, uh, so chicken teriyaki in a taco shell.
1: Ooh, yeah, chicken teriyaki tacos. <laughs> that sounds good. Always Not goes back right to now, actually, yeah. It's still early, but you know what? Who couldn't eat today? A McWhopper. Be looking for it again. I think I think McDonald's is going to have to say yes on that one. No doubt about it. Hey, we got a great uh, first guest today. Robert Smith will be joining us. He is the managing director of the International Center for Law and Religious Studies. At uh, Brigham Young here. And we're going to be talking about religious freedom. You know, with the gay marriage decision in the Supreme Court, it, it's it's it got a lot of uh, churches and, you know, religious folk worried about their freedoms. Are, do Are they going to have to, you know, support gay marriages, even if it's against their religious beliefs? We'll be talking to an expert on the subject. Religious freedom. What uh, what really do we need to worry about? If anything, we'll find out. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, with recent controversial religious freedom laws created in Indiana and Arkansas, do you remember during the gay marriage battle, uh, the nation seems to have been divided into two separate camps, one that sees the laws as protecting religious freedom from government intrusion and another that believes that that those laws end up condoning discrimination. This has caused many people to wonder how lawmakers navigate between these two opposing views to provide fair laws for all citizens, we have Robert Smith, managing director of the International Center for Law and Religion Studies at BYU. He's on the phone with us now to help us understand this increasingly contentious issue in our country. Robert Smith, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Great to be with you. Thank you. Great to have you um, with us. Now, just teach us. I, I love this is what I love about my job because we want to we want to learn we want to understand. Um, what's really going on when, when the Supreme Court came out um, with their decision on gay marriage? It seemed like it seemed like the states were already kind of making their laws state by state. They were going through it. Most of those states, it seems like um, a certain I think the majority of them had laws written into their laws. Those that were actually accepting gay marriage, they also had laws that basically exempted clergy from having to solemnize a marriage that that was gay if it was against their value system. Isn't that correct?
5: Yes, but it's usually not based on the statutes. The the protection that is offered to clergy uh, to not perform or solemnize uh, same-sex marriages is usually understood to come from the uh, Constitution. Oh, from itself. the First Amendment. Okay. Yes, from the First Amendment. Oh,
1: okay. So so do, do churches need to worry— that with this new national, uh, with this this decision made by the Supreme Court um, a- allowing gay marriage, do do what is the worry then when it comes to religious freedom?
5: Well, the the worry is that the un- understanding of the Constitution can change. Uh, the Obergefell decision that uh, recognized same sex marriage as a constitutional right, of course, was a departure from. The history of our country and the uh, past decisions of the Supreme Court, and so the um, the Supreme Court gets to interpret what the Constitution means, and so Mm -hmm. what those protections are really rest in the uh, hands of nine unelected
1: officials. Man, so that's that's and that's a big deal because all of a sudden it might start infringing upon the First Amendment rights of churches and. Uh, I know another big story that was out uh was kind of the hobby lobby story. explain how how that pushes on what is religious freedom i guess versus corporate responsibility
4: well, the hobby
5: lobby decision was uh interesting at an on a number of levels basically the the question was whether the uh corporate enterprise could be required under the Obamacare regulations to uh dispense certain types of contraception, uh, devices and, and, uh, drugs. The owners, it was, it's a privately held, uh, but large entity. The owners are, um, religious evangelicals, and they objected to some of the, uh, contraceptions as being abortifacient drugs that induced abortion rather than prevented conception. And the Obama administration, uh, wanted them to, uh, have to dispense those drugs. And so the question that came to the Supreme Court was whether a large entity could assert a religious freedom right under mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and the um, court held that it could, that that even though it was a large entity, it
1: could have the religious freedom rights of its uh, owners. So what? where are we, and what do you see as, I mean as a as the driving issue that will probably be i guess the debates of the future what do we need to worry about when it comes to religious freedom
5: well i think there's two main sources of of uh, tension uh the first you've already alluded to which is the um the gay uh, rights agenda which is uh of, of course strong and and gaining momentum in many ways uh the The fundamental concern I think is that the those who are in favor of homosexual rights um, want society to accept their choices, and those who do not should be prevented from full participation in in society so it's it's uh one way of analogizing this is uh whether that could be equated to Racial discrimination, and that I think that's the impetus is to try and uh, stigmatize those who are opposed to um, homosexual activity as as being a, uh, equivalent to racial bigots, mm. and therefore uh, ostracized from society, if not legally uh, restricted. the The other I think main thrust that's threatening religious freedom has to do with. Uh, what I'll call the secular agenda. There are an increasing number of uh, persons in the United States who reject religion, that reject beliefs in God, and they perceive the uh, protections that are afforded to religion as being uh, unequal as compared to those who don't believe in God or don't have religious beliefs. And so they would like to eradicate all of the laws that have traditionally a protected
1: religion in our society. Talk about what some of those laws are. I mean, I know th- there are politically, I guess there are tax, you know, benefits if you're a nonprofit or religious organization. Is that what you're talking about, or what laws specifically are they wanting to, you know, eradicate?
5: Well, they they, they go across a whole range of things. You've mentioned tax exemptions, which have of course, exists not just for religious organizations, but for other charities. The difference is that uh, churches have special protections that go above and beyond those provided to secular charities. For example, religions are not required to report on their activities each year, and they don't even technically have to ask for an exemption. Uh, All other organizations are required to get... Uh, recognition from the IRS that they are an exempt organization. Hmm. So churches are, in effect, invisible uh, from the government oversight uh, from the from the very beginning. But in addition to tax laws, there are laws that govern um, accreditation for uh, professionals uh, like counselors or even lawyers and so forth. And whether those Uh, professional organizations would be required to or be allowed to prevent those who are against uh, same-sex relationships, whether they could still have their professional licenses which come from the government. Um, There's uh, concerns about teachers and whether uh, teachers are going to be required to advocate family relationships that are, you know, against their own personal beliefs. Mm. Uh, whether the uh, parents would be able to allow their children to opt out of uh, uh, school classes and, and presentations that violate their their beliefs about family and and so forth, government workers and clerks, whether they're required to participate in activities that they have a conscientious objection to private, wedding service providers and those that are associated with marriage, for example, you've probably heard of yeah. the, the bakers and, and so forth. That the have been, pizza owners. Yeah, pizza. they're required yeah. to participate and, and so forth. Uh, there's, there's other things. dealing Broadly, the government, of course, can impose some of its views through government contracts. Uh, many religious organizations today have contracts with government agencies to provide welfare benefits, and um, you know they have a soup kitchen or something like that, and they've received a grant from the government. But the question is whether the government contracts will now prevent them from uh, receiving those contracts if they oppose uh, same-sex relations. Interesting. And and you could go on with employment, the same kind of thing, where the government can require employers. Uh, to uh, restrict, you know, employment opportunities for those who uh, disagree on these views. So they, so there's a whole range of things in society that are uh, threatening those religious organizations themselves and individuals who have religious
1: beliefs. And it seems like, I guess, the fear, though, then is we've every one of those will just eventually come up through the court system with a legal. With a legal case that could get to the Supreme Court, and one decision could create a precedence that could turn a bunch of those
5: yes, and even before the case comes to the court the the you know the government agencies can uh, administer these laws and they can require it and so the way it often uh, turns out is that the uh, a government either state or federal regulatory body body requires or Uh, Prevents a certain action, and then the persons with religious belief are required to uh, counter the government action, which is very
1: expensive and Mm. time-consuming, and uh, it it really puts a great burden on religious believers. Interesting. Wow. Interesting debate and discussion. Let's take a break. We're speaking again with Robert Smith. He is the Managing Director at the International Center for Law and Religion Studies here at Brigham Young University. He's also a professor and co-author... Um, of the Treaties, Religious Organizations, and the Law, published by Thompson West. Uh, We'll take a break. We'll come back more here on religious freedom, man, and the future of religious freedom. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, we're talking about religious freedom. Uh, it's such an interesting issue, and ma- many may not know the the tension that that a lot of you know religious believers feel when it comes to some of their rights and, and um, some of their beliefs. Maybe you know starting to be. Not protected as 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 they they felt like they once had been. Joining us on the phone is Robert Smith. Robert is the managing director of the International Center for Law and Religion Studies here at Brigham Young University. He teaches also courses on taxation of religious organizations at the J. Reuben Clark Law School and serves as the center's regional advisor for the United States. Uh, again, Robert Smith, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Such an interesting topic and you I mean we see it uh, we see it even for example the Boy Scouts of America um, just changed some of its policies on allowing uh, gays to, uh, into their organization and to actually be Scout leaders um, which was which was a really big decision and now a lot of churches and organizations are even starting to question their affiliation with uh, with the scouting program and um, it's i guess what what i'm trying to figure out is right now there's a first amendment that basically gives us this separation of church and state that protects the freedom to ha- have our religious views to have our our um our religious rights and yet with the supreme court kind of making certain decisions they they can change the interpretation of the constitution and yet so how how do people when you give us this list of Concerns that churches might have, you know, when it comes from accreditation, when it comes to teachers advocating against or for their beliefs, or all of these different things you've given us, what is the plan going forward? How do they go ahead and, and create stronger support of religious freedom if we already have an amendment? Well, that's an excellent question,
5: and let me just try to— uh unpack that just a little bit. Yeah, please. The the, uh, First Amendment you've referred to obviously has two important provisions. One of them uh, is to generally protect religious freedom in a positive way. Unfortunately, uh, back in 1990, the Supreme Court determined that it would no longer, as a general rule, seek to uh, protect religious freedom the way it had been done for prior decades. And it in an important decision um, uh, named Smith, uh, but no relation, (laughs) Uh, the Supreme Court said that any law that's neutral and generally applicable will, with a few exceptions, be upheld, even if it imposes burdens on uh, religious organizations or religious believers. And so, in effect, the Constitution was... uh, you know, greatly undermined in terms of its protection. Uh, In response to that, the Congress of the United States um, passed a bill called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, uh, a federal law uh, sponsored, I believe, by Orrin Hatch and and Senator Kennedy. And it received almost unanimous support in both houses of Congress Mm -hmm. during a very contentious time during the Clinton impeachment era. And so there was... Even though there was great partisanship and division, everyone, uh, virtually everyone in Congress was united in protecting the rights that the Supreme Court had seemingly stripped away. And so they tried to restore the same analysis that the Supreme Court had rejected in their case. The problem today is that those protections, which have been part of the constitutional framework and then reintroduced by statute, are now being called um, discriminatory. And so you you mentioned at the outset of the Mm. program some of the issues in uh, Indiana and Arkansas. Right. They tried to pass a religious freedom restoration act modeled after the federal law that's been in place for, you know, 20 years. And but today, those who are in favor of gay rights have said that's a discriminatory law. We don't want those. And so what's happening now is an effort to undermine. The statutory framework that was in place to try to protect religious freedom.
1: Oh, interesting. So then, so I guess the part of the battle is just to support or re, reach or strengthen religious the re, religious freedom act to make sure it doesn't just dis- take more hits.
5: Exactly, and the, you know, for example, that after the bergefeld decision, now there's a, a strong effort uh, to try and encourage. President Obama and his administration to revisit their prior and the prior administration's interpretation of that act, which essentially allowed religious organizations to hire people of their own religious faith in their organization, Mm -hmm. and uh, even if they're getting government funds to do welfare services. And so, just as an example, and so there's great effort now to undermine these religious freedom restoration acts. I think it's important to note that the acts are not were not devised in, in any way to discriminate they were in, intended to protect individuals and or churches whose uh practices were threatened by laws. Right. And so uh it's really a protection against the government but the the common rhetoric today is that they're intended to protect uh to discriminate against gay rights which is um, a really a stretch
1: and it's yeah so it 's an interesting um battle because it it what it i guess does is it does put then the government over a- and creating and managing religious freedom, which was seemingly never the goal the goal was to have them separated and and completely independent from them.
5: Yeah, I mean it's a, it's an interesting history. You'd mentioned also the separation between church and state, and that's a that's a complicated discussion. I, I think that the history of the United States is one of uh, of accommodation, mm. more than just strict separation. I think there's uh, obviously been efforts over the last fifty years to eradicate some religious teaching and religious. Um, activities in places like public schools, such as prayer and Bible reading uh, for devotional purposes. But the um, history of our country has been one of accommodation. Our president routinely uh, invokes the name of God when he ends a speech. The the motto of the country is, in God we trust. There's been uh, military chaplains uh, since the days of George Washington, Mm. and so forth. And so there's been a long history of acknowledging um, our dependence on God, even if we don't all agree on the the tenets of that belief, we've had that as part of our shared history. So today, as I mentioned, the, the secular forces would would ask that we remove all references and that we no longer make mention of God in any public mm-hmm. way.
1: It, um, it seems almost, too, that you're hearing more of a – and I guess it's where, religious – you know, believers are being ostracized, they're being now kind of, um, they're becoming the leper that that is, the minute they express their beliefs, and their their right to freedom of conscience, um, it seems like now, yeah, it, th- that's now being seen as being discriminatory.
5: Yeah, I, and that's a great point. And, you know, one of the, we had a conference in July at uh, BYU it's the Religious Freedom Annual Review. And uh, one one of the speakers uh, that uh, participated, uh, an attorney named Alexander Dushku, made the point that in order to combat these challenges, um, those who have religious beliefs need to speak up. And he he gave the um, analogy uh, or the contrasting analogy between uh, racial discrimination and uh, abortion, and he made the point that, in the uh, abortion debates, even though the Supreme Court uh, legalized the practice, those with religious convictions never stopped to uh, assert their beliefs and their moral view that that uh, that uh, elective abortion for contraceptive purposes was was wrong, and as a result, over time. Uh, People have come to accept those who have a uh, a view that differs from the Supreme Court's Hmm. constitutional analysis. If we don't do the same thing in this situation dealing with same-sex marriage, um, those who oppose uh, homosexuality on religious grounds will essentially be mooted and just simply will be ostracized from society.
1: I mean it's it's a it's such an interesting swing, isn't it, in how this in how this has gone. I mean, I know we had uh, Governor Levitt on, Michael Levitt on um and he talked about some legislation that was passed locally here in Utah that uh, the LDS Church was behind that was kind of a landmark moment that would ban discrimination against lesbian and gay, bisexual, transgender people, um while simultaneously, I guess, also shoring up some of the 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 religious liberties of of churches to be able to still choose and and have their freedoms um was that was that were we heading in the right direction there and and how did the 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 latest legislation from the supreme court or the latest decision from the supreme court change that if it did
5: oh that's a great point and uh You know, I think Utah was a model for attempting to balance the rights of of homosexuals and the rights of religious believers. Uh, The legislation you're referring to was uh, two bills, uh, Senate Bill 296 and 297, enacted in the last uh, legislative session. And they did something that was unusual in, in in the culture wars that we're involved with. There's been a... Uh, take-no-prisoners approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, both sides have wanted to defeat the other, and uh, both religious believers and those uh, favoring gay rights. And what the uh, legislature did um, was to say, well, let's try to protect the most important rights of, of our uh, gay friends and uh, citizens in housing and in employment, and let's also protect the religious believers in their most fundamental beliefs and not force them to violate their conscience. And so the, the two laws together attempted to protect both sides in their, their claims. And that model of, of cooperation is something that would be uh, helpful on a national level if, if both in federal legislation, as well as
1: at a state by state level, who who needs to lead that? I mean, is that is that large religious organizations that need to, you know, be on the cutting edge of that? Is that a legislative thing? I mean, I know it, it took place in a legislature here in Utah, but it was also supported, managed, directed, pushed by the LDS Church here locally. Um, who? How does that happen nationally?
5: Well, let me just say, uh, at this conference that we had in July, uh, the governor came and, and spoke, and, and Governor Herbert mentioned that at a recent um, gathering of Western states governors, uh, four of the governors approached him uh, hmm. to discuss how they could do something similar to Utah. And so there's a lot of interest among the, uh, the governing officials to try to work out a compromise and avoid uh, tension and i think the, the, the religious organizations themselves uh can play a role as, as well uh in the you mentioned the lds church took a leadership role and and endorsed the legislation which is quite unusual yeah they don't do that, do that normally but um and i think that was an important model and i'm sure that was influential in the in the debate but i think in this sense the lds church has been a leader and is showing the way for
1: other religious organizations as yeah. well. Yeah. Which is which is such I think I think it's also a really <laughs> powerful um example because historically the the LDS church maybe wouldn't have let out in that and there maybe historically wasn't always a great relationship between the LGBT community and the LDS church just because there wasn't a lot of understanding or mutual understanding and it seems like as we um as we, and that's one of the things that Governor Levitt kept bringing up is we have to just figure out how to make sure that, that, that we are civil and, and that we care and that people have the same freedoms while still facilitating a person's conscience and their freedom to to make decisions based on their conscience, on their beliefs. That right. balance,
5: I, yeah, exactly. I mean, we have a pluralistic society, and so our, our, you know, our country is always trying to balance the rights and needs of different groups and individuals. But I, I you know, I really think that the, um, in this case, the church, the LDS Church, I believe, has been quite consistent in saying that we love everyone. We yeah. want everyone to be uh, protected in their essential uh, dignity. Uh, But at the same time, we do have beliefs that are important uh, theologically, and we want to continue to assert those. And so, interestingly, after the legislation, the uh, LDS Church has been quite clear that it hasn't
1: changed its uh, theologic views Mm. uh, uh, either. Yeah, and and then again, that's then received as, see, you're still bigots. See, you're still – you still are haters. I guess that's the – I mean it's just an easy target I guess when it comes well, down to it.
5: Well one thing that uh, it, it, this maybe uh, maybe some would view this with skepticism but I think in many areas of life people get the fact that um we can love a person even if we disapprove of their actions. Yeah. And you know you can go through a range of things but in an extreme example uh You know, you may have great love and compassion for a a brother who has an addiction. And, you know, even though you love that person, you don't condone the action. You try to help them and see a different way and a different path forward. And while, of course, our our gay friends dispute that, that that the, the homosexuality is a sin or that it's wrong, nevertheless... Uh, the The notion that you can love the sinner and hate the sin is something that 's always been a part of Christianity and other world yeah. religions
1: well again i think it's it just has to be modeled. I think we just have to see examples that it can happen, and once we can see some of these examples um th- th- you know freedom flies both ways, and so does discrimination right and so it's i don 't know it 's such a powerful. And scary, I think, for a lot of people uh, to think that religious freedoms might be uh, you know, on the chopping block or at least up for reevaluation and reinterpretation. Can, as we wrap up, again, we're speaking with Robert Smith here, managing director at the International Center for Law and Religion Studies at BYU. What, what should we do, Robert, when you think about it? What can the average citizen do when it comes to ensuring their religious freedoms are protected and still creating this – tolerance, and love of their fellow man? That's a great question. You know, one of the things is to
5: become well-informed. I think your show and others, uh, opportunities for people to understand these issues uh, and to think about them more deeply. It's not just about whether something's right or wrong, but it's understanding the other person's perspective and why they think that way and trying to then articulate other views. I think understanding is, is one of the keys. And then Based on that, I think it's important to, uh, in careful and considerate and kind ways, explain why uh, those with religious beliefs have a, a different view. And explaining in a respectful way is is vitally important right now. Yeah. If we if we hold our tongues, nobody will understand, and and it will, people with religious faith will be labeled as bigots.
1: I love that, and. Yeah, cuz if we don't say it then we just just we keep quiet until there's a big issue and then all everyone comes out of the from the you know they all come out from under the carpet. Hey, um great uh great insight. Robert Smith, we appreciate you. I mean it's a touchy issue and yet it's it's pivotal and it's it also seems like it's not going away in a, for the long haul.
5: It won't. And I just have to say um not long ago we had a we hosted here at BYU a number of uh black Clergymen from uh, other states who came and they expressed some of their uh, concerns and in, in, in their uh, religious activities and their their congregations and and they expressed such deep uh, concern about these issues uh, because of the potential of being sued and mm-hmm. so forth and and the pressure that they face to conform or in effect change their religious views. Uh, so as not to be threatened, and I, and I think that that is one of the deepest risks that we face: is that uh, those with the religious convictions uh, can be uh, silenced or forced to change. Um, and I think, you know, if we can protect uh, people's rights to disagree.
1: Um, we'll all be better for that. Yeah. Oh, totally. No, great stuff. Uh, to disagree agreeably, that'd be a great way. Um, in fact, let's start with Donald Trump on that. Um, anyway, great stuff. Appreciate you, uh, Robert Smith. Keep up the great work there at, uh, the, um, at the International Center for Law and Religion Studies at BYU. We'll take a break, my friends. Uh, interesting, interesting discussion, isn't it? How do we learn to talk openly and respectfully even when we disagree? We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Stick with us, folks. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Interesting, interesting discussion about, uh, you know, religious freedom and really about tolerance. Well, there's a great quote that um, that I think everybody needs to think of when it comes to, to religious uh, freedom is, is this idea of tolerance. Robert Green Ingersoll once said, tolerance is giving to every other human being every right that you claim for yourself. And the hard part, I think, is for so many years, um, because people have such strong feelings about uh, homosexuality and, and really not fully understanding it, because it is a concept or an issue that we don't really fully understand. Um, a lot you know, a lot just frame it immediately as a sin. Um, And and yet there's so many other factors in play, biological, psychological, social, emotional factors that all go into play. And so people have been intolerant of it and and not quite understanding it, as Robert Smith says and just taught us, that the key might be to just understand what's going on with these other people. Because when you don't understand, you set yourself up to be – to discriminate, to be intolerant of a person without understanding even fully why. You cannot believe in what they're doing, and you can even believe that what they're doing is a sin in your belief system, but you can still also tolerate and care for the person. You can also still give them certain basic rights, um, which like the right to, to be able to go care for their loved one and be able to take care of the affairs of their loved one and be able to even be insured by their their partner, partner's insurance program. But those were rights that weren't given, and they weren't given for years. So the LGBT community fought back and now legally have got those rights that they were not afforded earlier. And if they're not careful, they'll now start impinging and basically doing to the religious believers what the religious believers had done to them. Turnabout is fair play, they would say. But in reality, tolerance and intolerance in either direction is not – it's not acceptable. It's not the principle we need to go by. So anyway, it's, uh, it's a hard, hard discussion. But if we could just get back to the old love one another kind of concept, man, and, and let's just learn to share our differences and still be loving. It can all, it can all coexist. We cannot agree and still care for one another and respect each other's rights and freedoms anyway that's the matt townsend show for the first hour folks next hour more ideas more tools to help you find the good in the world stick with us we'll be right back This is the show where we do what we can to bring you the tools, the information you need to uh, lead your life. Uh, We not only want to keep you informed, we want to keep you actually tooled, better understood, a better understanding of your world and how to make it through this crazy thing we call life. Welcome to the program. Hey, we got a a great uh, hour coming up. Uh, You may have heard of Taysom Hill, he is the quarterback uh, for Brigham Young University. And uh, we we really you know it's fun it's fun we always talk about the athlete right but Taysom Hill is a little bit different in that he uh, he's married he is a college athlete. That is married, which is a real rare thing, isn't it, Kathy? I mean, what percentage roughly? I mean, not
2: around the country. Yeah. I, I remember um, just uh, a few years ago, there were close to 50 players married on BYU's team. But around the country, yeah, very, very few per team. And it's,
1: it's just they're young anyway. And right. people are marrying later. But right. so here's Taysom and his wife, Emily, and they're married, mm-hmm. which has got to change the entire deal. Right.
2: Yeah, I actually I spoke with him last week, and he actually says that being married makes it easier, I uh, because he has the stability and yeah. he comes home and there's that constant support, and and uh, that Emily's his biggest fan, and yeah, he loves it.
1: So we're going to be interviewing Emily a little bit later. I wanted to uh, to me these are the the best interviews we have. We have Bronco Mendenhall on all in once a year with his wife Holly, and it's it's fun to talk to these people um, about anything but the sport that they play, because the sport's what they're usually asked about. So we'll be talking with Emily Hill, Taysom Hill's uh, wife. Find out what it's like to be the spouse of a, of really a really an iconic, a star, star, really. And, and if um, he
2: can stay healthy. Uh, he really will be in you know, Heisman consideration. I, mean, I believe.
1: Well, totally. He's got he's got great legs. He's already in the top thirty quarterbacks. Uh, I just saw on ESPN, but. He's also been injured two years in a row. Two straight years. By the way, yeah. by the same guy. <laughs> by,
2: the, by the same player at Utah State University. In fact, I, I asked Taysom about that. I mean, I mean, come on! It's the same player, and and, and a leg injury. You know, obviously yeah. tackling him, and he said, "You know, it's just a fluke. He had no ill will, but that's really strange." Right? Really come bizarre. on. Does what lightning Hit in the yeah. same place yeah. twice.
1: Anyway, uh, we'll be we'll be talking to Emily in just a few minutes. Just a little fun interview there. Find out about that. But uh, before we do that, a oh, tragic story in the news. Uh, Virginia TV reporter and her photographer were shooting a live shot and a gunman comes up, kills him, shoots them both. There, two people have died.
2: Breaks my heart, Matt. Yet yeah, two members of a Virginia TV morning news team were shot dead during a live broadcast this morning. 24-year-old reporter Allison Parker and 27-year-old cameraman Adam Ward were killed while filming an interview outside in central Virginia. WDBJ station manager, manager Jeff Marks talked about the tragedy.
3: Uh, we do not know the motive. We do not know who the suspect or who the killer is. I cannot tell you how much they were loved, Allison and Adam by the WDBJ-7 team. Our hearts are broken, and our sympathies go to the entire staff here, but also uh, the parents and family of Adam Ward and Allison Parker, who were just out doing their job today.
2: Police are still searching for the gunman. Schools in the area are on lockdown. Asian stocks were mixed today as China's benchmark Shanghai Composite Index closed down 1.3 percent. The apparent inability of Chinese regulators to stabilize the markets has investors worried. The Dow fell over 200 points yesterday, extending Wall Street's losing streak to six days. Donald Trump had a journalist from Telemundo removed from his Iowa press conference last night when the man stood up to ask a question about deportation. Jorge Ramos was later let back in the room and asked trump about anchor babies here was trump's response
4: if you come and you're on the other side of the border i'm not talking about mexico somebody on the other side of the border a woman is getting ready to have a baby she crosses the border for one day has the baby all of a sudden for the next 80 years we have to take care of the people i don't think this no 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 I, i don't think so there are great legal excuse me there are great legal scholars that say that's absolutely wrong
2: when asked about last night's incident, Trump told the Today Show that the reporter was totally out of line and that he is not a bully. A new public policy poll showed Donald Trump with a huge lead in New Hampshire. Trump has more than tripled his closest opponent with 35 percent compared to John Kasich at 10 percent. Carly Fiorina is third with 10 percent. The Moroccan man who allegedly boarded a French-bound train with an AK-47 and other weapons reportedly watched a jihadi video on his cell phone before the attack. Prosecutors say they know that because the suspect's phone was found in a bag left on the train. Meanwhile, one of the three Americans who helped thwart the attack, Oregon National Guardsman Alexander Scarlatos, will be awarded the Soldiers Medal, the U.S. Army's highest award for acts of heroism. ESPN has pulled analyst Kurt Schilling from its Little League World Series broadcasts, this after a tweet from Schilling comparing Muslims to Nazi-era Germans. Yesterday, Schilling retweeted a post that said, Only 5 to 10 percent of Muslims are extremists. In 1940, only 7 percent of Germans were Nazis. How did that go? Schilling later deleted the post and later tweeted that he was 100% wrong and it was a bad decision. The Pentagon is reportedly opening an investigation into alleged distorted intelligence information on ISIS. At least one analyst has accused officials at U.S. Central Command of altering intelligence assessments of the U.S. fight against ISIS to make them more optimistic and fit certain agency agendas and policies. Changing those assessments violates U.S. rules. And just back to that top story about oh. that. I am just... I'm. I'm heartsick. I'm being a TV reporter for many, many years. I remember being on top of the KSL building in yeah. downtown Salt Lake City, reporting on a jazz game, which the arena was right across. So we had a great shot. But when you're at night and that spotlight was on you, I always was fearful of Somebody, that. Somebody, yeah, I you're just this perfect fearful. target. Yes. And so I would always ask the cameraman to please turn the light off until we were just about to uh, go on. And I'm just, I'm just sick. Well, I just, oh, my heart just goes out to their families.
1: She's just doing her job. She's yep. just interviewing a woman. Yep. And by, and by the way, you can tell it's morning because there's no one out. Right. And then out of nowhere in well, the
2: Well, and the story said uh, that when the cameraman dropped the camera, I guess there was an the image of the photographer. I mean the shooter. I don't know how clear it yeah. was. And I don't know uh, – the woman that was interviewing apparently was not injured. So I don't know if it was just a work-related thing because he just went after the reporter and the cameraman. But I'm just sick. It just makes me sick. Oh, I mean it so really sad. is.
1: And it's – I mean again, the news, it's – that's this is this is a live shot. Live shot. And it's you'd see you could imagine that in Ferguson. Right. right. But this is just some live shot in, in Virginia.
2: Virginia. Yep. Just heartbreaking. That is My fear is, you know, copycat
1: things, oh, yeah. you
2: know, like this. But I was always fearful of that. I always was.
1: It's a uh, it, it, it's funny because we don't look at that as a dangerous job. But oh, right. you're always out there with a big spotlight on yep. yourself. Right. And then even I mean, it's probably more likely a drunk guy will come up and violate you. That's more of a likely I've had,
2: thing. i uh, had that at a Utah BYU it, game, it, actually. Was, yes, yeah. uh, that was very fun. But that's
1: very real too, oh, isn't it? Yeah. Oh man, you just don't think of you know no. that as a you know dangerous job. Anyway, tragedy, tragedy out of Virginia, uh, two dead um, after a photographer and a reporter were doing a live shot, and somebody came up and started firing on him. Crazy stuff. Um, Anyway, well, let's do this. Uh, maybe let's just take a break, come back, and we're going to come back and, and do an interview with uh, probably somebody that that never thought she'd be in this position. Emily Hill will be joining us. She is the wife of BYU's star quarterback, Taysom Hill, and uh, we're going to just talk to her about the life of a, a star quarterback in, in uh, college football. What is that like? And, and, you know, is there an advantage to being married young and to have a quarterback husband? Or is it just, you know, life? Not a big deal. We'll be right back. More here from the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Today, we've got uh, the great privilege of uh, talking to Emily Hill, who is uh, on the phone with us. Emily is the wife of Taysom Hill, the starting quarterback for Brigham Young University. And, I mean, this is a rare interview. We don't usually interview the spouse of uh, one of our football players, mainly because most of these football players aren't married And so uh, it's interesting to have the opportunity to have Emily on the show. Emily married uh, quarterback uh, Taysom Hill back, I think, about a year ago in in, uh, 2014. Um, They're both studying finance here at Brigham Young University, and she also works at New Skin Enterprises as an intern in the corporate finance department. Emily Hill, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
6: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Are you, are you, What? Are, what is it like? You're married to Taysom, everybody knows Taysom, he's the stud, and you are his wife. What is yes. What is that? In your head, is he just Taysom who doesn't pick up his socks, or is he the star quarterback?
6: Well, he happens to be the cleanest person I've ever met, so <laughs> his socks are never on the floor.
1: But, I see, really.
6: Um, yeah, you know what, I've been asked that before, and it's funny because, I know football is a huge part of his life, but it doesn't really take center stage in our lives. I guess. Yeah. He kind of has found a way to leave it there. And when he comes home, he's chasing my husband, not chasing the football player.
1: Well, that's awesome. So, I mean, because yeah. really, that's that's probably the way it should be, right? I mean, they're right. they're not gods. They're just exactly. They're just dudes. Right. Um, not to
6: mention, I think I think talking football with me would be. The worst thing. So well, he talk he about never that. Really brings it up.
1: Because you're not you're not a football fan. You really you're not a fa- you're not into football.
6: Uh, not really. I mean, my brother played, and I, you know, my brothers played. They all played, or like you even played high school, I guess. And then David played at BYU. And yeah,
7: David we Nixon.
6: Watched, but you know, it's kind of more of a social thing for me, and I, it's kicking me in the butt now. I wish I had really learned how it all worked <laughs> because that would come in handy, but. It, um, yeah, I, I didn't really date athletes. I wasn't super into football, but you know, now you are. are.
1: So here you are. Yeah. Hey, let me run a clip for you. We've got a clip, uh clip number 11. Let me let listen to what Taysom says about being married. Great. Oh, it's clip 11. You don't have that yet. Uh, he's, we're looking for it. We just barely, um, brought these in. We, we did an interview. Kathy Aiken uh, interviewed Taysom, and in that interview, she sat down and and lined up a bunch of uh, different you know questions about you, and and we'll be bringing those to you. We'll be bringing those to you in just a minute. Talk to me about this, Emily. Um, you're you're from originally College Station, Texas, a big a big football state, right?
6: Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: And your brother was David Nixon, who was a, a former BYU linebacker. But you, you have a big family. You're one of nine kids, right?
6: One of ten. Oh, I'm ten. I'm number nine. Holy
1: cow. Yeah. So uh, does what's that like bringing Taysom into a family of ten?
5: <laughs> well,
6: it can get a little crazy sometimes. We had a family reunion at Bear Lake earlier this summer, and with all the kids and spouses in my immediate family, there were 46 people. <laughs> so it gets their i think 26 grandkids total right yeah. now so you know sometimes i feel bad for him it gets a little hectic and a little loud but i really think he loves it he handles it so well he gets along with my brothers my brothers in law really well they just love him do they
1: love him has so, david yeah. I, I like has david ever just full-on tackled him <laughs> i'd love to see <laughs> you that
6: know what? I don't think anyone wants to tackle Taysom. I, I know. They stay away from that.
1: Because one of the cool things about Taysom is he's really strong as an ox, right? He's known for, right. for being super strong, able to lift a ton. Um, does, does that get in the way? Does that impact your life? Because I'm assuming he's, during the season now, he's working out like crazy.
6: Yeah. So, I mean, fall camp is, I think any wife or girlfriend of a football player would say fall camp is a rough time. It's is just, it? Long days, you know, You sometimes they get a break in the middle of the day, but you usually won't see them until 8 or 9 o'clock at night, and they eat all their meals together, and then when they do get home, they're exhausted, you know. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I mean, he loves it. This is what he loves to do. So, you know, I keep myself busy, and then when we finally see each other, it's great. So.
1: And then, and then I guess things lighten up when we're back in, what, the spring, I guess? Well, right after, about Christmas time, you're done.
6: Right. After the bowl game, things slow down. They have their winter workouts, but those are early in the morning. and So then it's kind of back to normal life. Okay.
1: Wow. Emily, (laughs) did you have any idea what you were biting off here?
6: (laughs) I didn't. I really didn't. But it hasn't been bad. Like I said, Jason just, he does a really good job of separating it all. And so... He is totally my fun, sweet, thoughtful husband when he's home with me, and I honestly kind of forget that he's this football star, you know, until we're out and about, and, you know, kids want pictures, and which <laughs> is really sweet, And but it's just funny because I, I feel like I forget that sometimes.
1: Isn't that interesting? I okay. mean, like, to watch him sign an autograph, you've got to be looking at him like, are you serious? <laughs> are you <laughs> no, signing an it's autograph? kind
6: of funny. Is it's it
1: funny? funny. I mean, it's cute. It is cute, but it's like, come on. <laughs>
6: Well, here's the thing. I mean, I know how great he is, but it's just, it's funny. I think any other wives would say the same thing. It's like, you know them so well, you know how funny and goofy they are. And then <laughs> you see them, you know, speaking at events, and yeah. signing autographs, taking pictures, and it's, it's kind of fun. So
1: It is. I mean, and I've, I, it's mm-hmm. cool because I get to work with um, uh, quite a few, of, I guess, celebrity athletes or whatever we call them. And the the ability to impact lives is is really high too so it's mm-hmm. it's it's one thing if you get your you know if you're cocky and you're arrogant about it that's you know that kind of turns it into a different game but it seems right. like Taysom uh knows he's got a purpose a mission that he's that he Absolutely. needs to help people
6: yeah and i i think you know if i were a mother of a 10-year-old boy right now that idolized the quarterback of BYU i would hope that he was someone like Taysom because mm. I can not imagine a better role model for the kids that, you know, just love him. Yeah. And so I thought about that. I'm really glad that it's him.
1: Well, and it's it yeah. you're you're in a weird position too because very few of the college athletes are married. Mhm. So, who do you who do you commiserate with? Who do you <laughs> talk to?
6: Um so I'm really good friends with Hilary Kasusi. Okay, we cool. knew each other um, before either of us met our husbands. We almost roomed together in the dorms our freshman year. And I love Hillary. She's down to earth and she kind of knows how it is. And and so we go to the practices and we hang out quite a bit. Um, and so I talked to her. But I mean, fall camp is hard. The rest of it, honestly, maybe because of how Jason handles it, I don't feel like I'm having to commiserate. You know, it, yeah. it, really, it's been fun and. I'm going to be sad when it's over, and it's it's honestly been really great.
1: So, have you had the moment um, sitting in the stands, and BYU fans are pretty good at this, um, where somebody's shouting out, you know, negative comments about your man?
6: You know what? Whenever Kate and I started dating, it was let's see. So right after the Virginia game, I got out of a relationship, and then he asked me out the next week. So I think it was either right before the Texas game or after, and that's kind of when the run chase and run shirts came out. Mm-hmm. Everybody loved him, and so pretty much from the point that I met him on, everybody loved him, and I didn't have to to deal with any of the, the negative any of the negative comments. But I remember hearing about some of the tweets that he got after the Virginia game.
1: People, yeah, they lost that game, to, didn't they? To
6: break his other leg and to <laughs> or to tear his other ACL and to leave, and oh. we hate you and. And I remember before I even met him, being so protective and thinking how awful that was. And so when we started dating, I kind of geared myself up for it. But it just hasn't happened. And, you know, last season he was playing so well and got hurt. And there was a lot of love sent our way and really sweet cards and meals and texts and tweets and, you know. Uh Um, But... You know, obviously, I I get nervous about this season, and I, I'm a protective person, so I hope uh, I hope I never come across that. You know,
1: were yeah. you were you in the stadium last year when he fractured his leg against Utah State?
6: Yes, I was.
1: Now I heard, what's that like? Well, and I oh, heard, God. I heard it was harder on you maybe than him.
6: Um. Yeah i i you know, I burst into tears right <laughs> whenever I figured out what happened and. I ran down there with his parents and we were trying to get to him. They'd gone into the locker room, I think for halftime right after. So we couldn't go in there. And, um, when I finally did see him, you know, he had a smile on his face and just kept saying, it's going to be okay. And I think I had more of a panic attack than he did. Cause I was so worried about him and I oh, yeah. was so sad for him, but he handled that whole thing so well. Yeah. I could not have imagined that he would handle it as well as he did. He was still happy. He, you know, got really excited about the classes we were in, was doing really well in them and kind of turned his focus to school. Yeah. And that was just not, I just figured, you know, anyone who has an injury like this for the second time has got to become depressed and all those things. And that just never happened with him. He was just, he just got through it. So.
1: Um, What, (laughs) when you think about it, uh, um, you know, the same guy heard him both times. Yeah. So you know, are you going to go deal with that? You need. It seems like you need to go take care of business there.
6: Oh God! Come on, Emily. I know. I, seriously.
1: You need to go talk I to. I
6: wondered him. about that, but Chase. He just said it wasn't a cheap shot. It's just a, just a tackle. Accident. Yeah, this is it, what football's about. It just happens and. He really did not believe there was anything malicious about it, yeah. so I went with that. and Go with that. We haven't really thought about it since, you know.
1: Yeah. Hey, we finally got that audio for you. Listen to this. This is Taysom, um, clip number 11, Taysom on being married.
8: I would say okay. it's easier being married to juggle all those things. Um, you know, my wife and I are in bed by 10 o'clock every night. You know, we kind of joke about it. We feel like we've turned into an, an old couple or something. Listen, I
1: mean, I guess that's 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 a compliment, Emily. It's like you guys are in your 60s. I know what was that about? You're tired, you're exhausted. Um. But it probably is, honestly, because then he doesn't go out. You hear about these quarterbacks that go do stupid things or any football player mm-hmm. or athlete that does stupid things at night just to know that I'd be excited as coach Mendenhall to know that I'm sending Taysen home with you and that he's going to he's going to be taken care of and go to bed at 10.
6: Right. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think honestly being married, at least for me, I think both of us would agree. It's a lot easier to do well in school. It's easier to just, it's like your life is just more organized when you're not trying to set up dates and worry with all of that. Yeah. And especially with us being in our major together, you know, I feel like we're just on the same schedule for the most part. That's... So it's, it's been really fun, honestly. And I think, yeah, I think it probably does make football a little easier when you can come home from fall camp exhausted and not be trying to date someone at the same time, you know?
1: Absolutely. Hey, he also made a comment here, we'll listen to clip 13, about your
8: expertise on football. It's nice, and and I would say another thing that's extremely nice with that is um, she's my biggest fan, right? And she's there for me every step of the way and and always supporting me. Um, And I know that when I come home, like, you know, I'm not going to uh, hear all the things they do on the football field, or from the fans and everything else. Um, it's it's been a way to get away from all those things. <laughs> That's cool. That is cool. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, he the last thing he
1: wants to talk about is a play with right. you, right? I mean, he probably, I'm sure, and you got to shoot straight with us. He watches The Bachelor with you, right? Oh, 100%. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. He loves it. He loves The Bachelor. <laughs> he
6: does.
1: <laughs> He's going to kill you for that.
6: I think, I think
1: he might love it more than I does do. Does he really? like? Is he recording it? Hey, get, turn The Bachelor on.
6: Oh, oh that's gosh. funny. That's yeah, super we funny. we have it recorded every week. We, <laughs> we make it kind of an event.
1: <laughs> do you? The two of us. Do you you sit down, make some popcorn, <laughs> <laughs> you have an early oh, dinner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> that's sad that's so sad let's take a break we're speaking with emily emily we'll be right back um and uh we're going to continue this discussion Taysom hill's better half uh the healthy half the just the strong the source probably of a lot of his peace and um confidence emily hill Taysom hill's wife and uh we're going to find out the inside scoop how ready is Taysom for the next year and uh, what's it like being married to uh College football quarterback extraordinaire. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, if you're getting ready for BYU football uh, today's interview, you're gonna love. On the phone with us is Emily Hill. The, by the way, the prettier, better, smarter, more talented, fascinating wife of uh, BYU's star quarterback Taysom Hill. Uh, Emily, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Thanks for um, thanks for keeping you know Taysom in check.
6: Oh. No problem.
1: Protect his legs for crying out loud. <laughs> I
6: wish I could. I wish there was something I could do to help
1: with that. So when you watch the game and you're you're watching your cute little honey out there and you see the play kind of break down and you see Taysom scramble.
6: Uh-huh. I'm
1: pretty sure the whole coaching staff, you know, pause. What what right. goes on in Emily's hill hills head when when he starts running out of the pocket?
6: Well, if if I'm basing this off of last year. I I would get so nervous before the games. I would be shaking and praying nonstop, and you know, and just kind of freaking out. And then the game would start to go on. And I think I, as the season went on, I kind of got in my head that he was like an ox, like you said, just yeah. invincible. No one could take him down. Yeah. And then you know, Utah State happened, and that just kind of it totally shook me up. So going into this, I am extremely nervous and. Um, yeah, I think it's going to really freak me out to see him scrambling around, and and as strong as he is, obviously bad things can happen. Yeah,
1: so, do you do you I worry see. about the future? I mean, how can you not? Your your husband makes his living with his body, and you know, if he has a great year this year, you know, he'll have a great shot probably at going pro, and if mm-hmm. he does, um, what's What's your take on that?
6: Um, you know what? I for a while there I wasn't too hype on the idea of the NFL. Just you know, my my brother played a few years, and it's kind of a filthy environment yeah. from what I've heard, and and it's scary. You know, he's the guys he's going to be playing against are going to be much bigger yeah. even than the ones he's playing against now, and um, so safety wise, it really kind of freaks me out, but at the same time, it's his dream, and I I wouldn't take that out from under him, and I I think, you know, thankfully, chase hasn't had any serious concussions or anything like that, and so, you know, broken leg, I think you could take a broken leg any day over anything related really yeah. to head, back, or neck, Yeah. and so um, when that day comes, I think I would be much more proud of saying, you know, I don't know how much longer we want to do this, but... For now, I, I trust him and his ability to know, you know, how far he should take it. And mm-hmm. if he has an opportunity to play, then I want him to pursue that. And, you bet. you know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to
1: it. So. Here, here's what Taysom said um, about the NFL.
8: Every time I go on the football field, it scares her, right? She she loves watching me play and all those things, but she sits through a game extremely nervous. Um, she she's excited she knows that it's important to me so it's important to her and she knows that making it to the nfl has been a lifelong goal and so she she wants to support me in that so she's excited but it doesn't you know it comes with some nerves as well
1: man i think he likes you emily
8: I think he does too. I, think <laughs> I like him too.
1: It's pretty cool because, um, I mean, it, you're almost like the dream couple. All these young kids, these young girls, might dream of dating the quarterback, and you <laughs> kind of fell into it. Like, okay, let's date Taysom. Um, yeah. yeah. But, but it's also cool because you're not you're not caught up into this. You're not this mega fan that had to chase down the quarterback all over campus. Do do those right. fans worry you? I mean, do you see these? Girls that you know just think he's hot. Does that bug you? Um,
6: I, I don't feel like I've seen anything too intense at BYU. I mean,
1: yeah, it's I, probably pretty. Yeah, it's probably more reserved, isn't it?
6: Yeah, I would think so. I mean, he's gotten little messages here and there that he doesn't open and you know doesn't even worry about it. But for me, I if I didn't trust him, then I think it would really freak me out. But I have so much faith in him, and I trust him one hundred percent. And I, I would never, ever worry about him in that way. You know, so yeah. I'm like, I, you can come calling on him, but I promise he's <laughs> he's not going to care. You know, yeah. So
1: he's coming home with you, and he
6: exactly. And it's
1: it's I think it's super cool too, just the fact that you trust him. So as a guy that works with a lot of couples, uh, talk to us about how you keep your marriage strong, how you keep it healthy. What are some of the what are some of the tricks of the trade of somebody that's been married? Have you been married a full year?
6: Oh, a year and a half.
1: A year and a half. So, so yeah. what? What? Uh, what advice do you give these newlyweds that are getting married?
6: Well, um, one thing I feel like Case and I both have realized is that being selfish in a marriage just doesn't work. And you know, even little things like i, I know that making the bed, making the bed, is a big deal to him. And I don't really enjoy making the bed, and I don't really see the point because I'm going to get back in it. Right. But I know it means a lot to him, so I'll do it just because I know he's going to come home and see it. Or he does little things to help me out that, you know, he just I think we both have this mutual understanding that if you think about yourself and you're focused on yourself, it just doesn't work. And so, you know, we try really hard to build each other up to not act selfishly. And I think it helps a lot that we're in the same major because we have so much in common and so much to talk about. And so it just, it doesn't get boring. And and yeah, I don't know. I think I think the biggest factor though would be selflessness. Yeah, And um, we've both kind of figured that out along the way.
1: Well, I mean, for heaven's sakes, you've got a husband that wants the bed made. I mean, <laughs> that's like half the problem right there. <laughs> You are set. Well, talk about your majors because it, in a way I would think um, it might be a little easier for you to stay focused during the season on the school uh-huh. and schooling than him. Do you, do you help him with classes? Do you, do you get him caught up? Do you, are you guys going through – I know you're in the same major. Are you, are you at the same level in the major? Are you going through the same classes?
6: Yeah. So starting classes fall. We have had every class together for the fall and winter and spring semesters, and then we finish out this semester together with all the same classes.
7: How awesome.
6: So, which is so fun. I love it. Um, but you know what? Like I said earlier, Jason, he's very clean, and he is extremely organized. And if <laughs> anything, I'm kind of in the opposite direction. So I would say more than anything, he kind of helps me out. Does he? And he sets up all of the tutoring sessions. He He kind of takes care of most of that stuff. And if he is gone, then I obviously take notes for him and do whatever, you know, I can to help him out. But he kind of, that's just ingrained in him. He's so organized and such a competitive guy. He works really hard to do well in the classroom. So it's been kind of nice for me, to be honest. Oh,
1: yeah. That's great (laughs) because, I mean, you mentioned the word tutor. And Mm -hmm. I mean that is one of the I guess benefits of being on the football team is they'll help get tutors in to help you through programs and Mm -hmm. I mean that's that's pretty cool it's a but so so for the amount you lose you also gain something too it sounds like I mean you lose him for dinner every night but you gain (laughs) him for you know tutoring sessions
6: exactly that's cool yeah it's true
1: what um, what are your aspirations one of the things I found with a lot of my clients that are either in the NFL or, like, professional athletes, is they – a lot of times the wife loses her identity, and sometimes she just becomes, you know, the extension of Taysom. She's just kind of Taysom's wife. Um, mm-hmm. How how do you feel about that? What are you doing to, to kind of make sure that Emily Hill has her own identity? I've, I've talked a lot about this with um, Holly Mendenhall as well, Bronco's wife. Yeah. Um,
6: well, I mean, first of all, I – I've never been someone who's been in the limelight for any reason, and he is, but there's definitely no jealousy going on. I, I'm i okay with being just known as Jason's wife. You know, yeah. if people don't know my first name, I'm totally okay <laughs> with that. You're good with that. I'm good, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm studying finance. I'm working um, at Newskin Skin doing finance and accounting there, and... You know, I, I can't really start interviews or anything like that until we know where we're going to be because I, I want to follow him and I want us to pursue his, you know, career aspirations, wherever that might be. Mm. And then, you know, we're still trying to figure out when we want to start a family and all those things. And so I I definitely want to be a mother. Um, but until that time, I'll be, you know, looking for a job to keep myself busy wherever he is. And, and um, yeah, I, I don't cool. think... I don't think I'm too worried about losing my identity with him, um, being who he is. I I'm just extremely happy to be with him. You know. Yeah. So,
1: what do you um, want everyone else to know? Um, so when when Taysom's out there and you see him leading, you know, the team on the field, and they're driving for a touchdown, and he throws an interception, and then all the BYU fans are like, "Come on!" And they, what 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 do you want people to remember about Taysom Hill in the end?
6: Hmm. Let's see. Gotta choose my words carefully. <laughs> I'm trying to think. So I think one big thing for me that I have realized when I watch these guys play and they, they do something, you know, they mess up. I think, you know, the last thing that these players who have worked so hard and now I really actually know how hard, you know, at least to some extent, I understand how much time they put in yeah. and how much it means to them. The last thing they want is to mess up and, and, do something wrong and cause the team, the other team to score more points or whatever it is, you know, that's the last thing they want. And so when they do mess up, I feel like the last thing they need is to be booed yeah. and, um, torn down. And so, you know, I, at least for me, it, whenever Jason messes up, I hope that people remember, like they're still human. They still, uh, they're not perfect and they work so extremely hard, um, and just to remember that, you know, be supportive um, and and give him a break every now and then when things don't go as well as you hope. Because I know they, I mean, they put everything into this. They put their whole lives on hold
1: for oh, football. Yeah. It's a
6: year-round sport, and yeah, and they work so so
1: hard. So. Well, and it's what I think is the coolest thing is it sounds like he's he's balanced. He's he's actually maybe more balanced than some of these fans that are yeah. out of control when he throws an interception. I mean he gets it. He'll right. be back on the field and he'll he'll get it next time. Just Exactly Relax, man.
6: Right. And it's, he and he's super confident. I don't think I've ever met someone who is more confident but not cocky. He somehow worked out a way to do that. And um so even if he did mess up, he knows the next play is gonna go in and kill it and it's yeah. gonna be fine. And that's just, you know, after after losses he doesn't let it linger. He knows next week, you know, we're going to win. We're going to do whatever it takes. And so, you know, have the same confidence he has would maybe be my advice.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and how powerful for you to have such a strong role, role model that can help you feel more confident. And Right. And, Absolutely. Well, and honestly, what's I think is really cool that we'll probably never know the full, you know, mag, magnitude of is – I mean, I, when I sit here with Bronco and Holly and they're together, Bronco's an entirely different guy than you <laughs> yeah. ever see in any other news setting or anything like that. He is, uh. he's, just, uh, he's just a softie. <laughs> and right. um, what's cool is uh, there's very few people, probably Emily, I'm assuming, that have the impact on Taysom that, as you do. I mean, yeah. he's, you're the one he's thinking about. You're the one he wants to get home to and tell that story to. So uh, right. he, he's lucky to have you.
6: Oh, thank you. I appreciate
1: that. And you better protect his legs or you're going to be run off the campus.
6: <laughs> that's that's my job. All right.
1: <laughs> Emily Hill, you're awesome. Appreciate you. Have a, have a great season. And, uh, you know, everyone's praying for you guys.
6: Oh, I appreciate it. Keep them coming.
1: We will, and, and keep you know keep him fed, keep the protein up. Make sure oh, he's I healthy will. and happy.
6: Don't worry about
1: that. Bone health. Think about bone health. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks, uh, Emily Hill. We appreciate you. Good luck to both you and Taysom. Good stuff, folks. Isn't? I mean, they're just humans. They're just humans, and she's beautiful. What a wonderful spirit she's got. Um, and cool to hear that side of. Your quarterback. It would be so easy for Taysom's head to just not fit in the helmet. Um that's cool. I mean, when you see all these other stories about quarterbacks and coaches, even past BYU coaches that are getting in trouble in the news today. Just to have somebody that's balanced and, you know, just wants to get home, see his wife, not out partying. Powerful stuff. Cool couple, the Hill family. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back to a quick Coach's Corner, a little wrap-up of this second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, my friends. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, you know, some of that audio that we had with um, Taysom Hill there, it's it's from a show that was edited and uh, an interview that was done by Kathy Aiken that will be about Taysom Hill on BYU's Countdown to Kickoff on September 5th before the season opener at Nebraska. So make sure you tune in, and you can also probably find it um, uh, at BYUtv.org Again, countdown to kickoff We'll have the full interview Kathy Akin's full interview of Taysom And uh, his view about the whole football season Great stuff This is the before the season opener At Nebraska on September 5th Make sure you go find that I mean, Emily, what a cool, cool couple they are It's gotta be so hard to deal with a college athlete I mean, you were an athlete, right Mike? Yeah, for a while. Mike was an athlete. Uh he was a um until the accident. A decathlete. Uh, and then he had just a little it's just a it's just a javelin. It's just a javelin gone awry. Yeah. It's just a slip of the wrist.
0: Just a, a You have
1: one loose javelin, a
0: straight dra-
1: javelin. A straight javelin and the decathlon career is over. I mean, right? It's just you didn't mean to hit the guy. No, no. It was a complete accident. He, everyone is alive. Well, I think
0: so. Yeah. Uh, well,
1: I mean, sure. Alive. I don't know. Part of the restraining right order,
0: I can't contact yeah. the victim. It's so. a sad,
1: sad, sad story. Decathlon accident. Man, um, tragic, right? Hey, uh, did I tell you about the this crazy story that we found about um, – the florida zoo no it's 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 crazy so the so a, a zoo in a zoo in Dade County Florida called Wild Things is under fire for some unique programs involving tigers oh no what are they yeah. doing so th- what they're doing is they're letting you swim with a tiger
0: that doesn't sound safe at all. I mean,
1: well, no. What what's the worst? It's a tiger. What's
0: the worst that could happen? Death, maybe. <laughs> Loss of limbs. Wouldn't you
1: just love to like ease into the water, just just kind of ease on into the water, and just be floating, and then they just let a tiger in. What's the <laughs> for two hundred bucks you can pay an additional fee of two hundred bucks and swim with a in the pool with tiger cuts. Wait. So what's what's the initial fee just to wait in the water? Well, no. You, you just get to go to the zoo. You just pay oh. the zoo fee. Oh, right. Got it. And then you're like you you, you <laughs> walk into the zoo and you have um you have your you have your your towel around your neck and you're like I'm here to swim with the lion or the tigers. I'd like to excuse me. Here, kitty. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. Come here, kitty. Splash, splash. Come here, kitty, kitty. What is that? Come here, boy. Hop in. Hop in the water. (laughs) It is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) It's like swimming with a gator. Tiger. This is like a Bengal tiger, probably. I mean, this is a big animal. But even if they're cubs.
0: That's absolutely terrifying. I'm sorry. nuts.
1: Other attractions. People pose in pictures with the cubs and putting paint on their paws for paw prints. What is happening to us? Apparently the USDA and PETA are both uh, not liking this idea. And there's threats now of fines and criminal prosecution.
0: I was going to say that kitty." Sounds... kitty, 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 kitty. <laughs> <laughs> wrong on a few different levels.
1: What, what did you do today, Jimmy? I went swimming with a tiger. Where's your arm? Where's your arm? T- the tiger took my arm. Unbelievable. Anyway, if you're going to Florida, I'd look it up. That, by the way, that is a memory maker. You swim with a tiger, you have now officially got the, the best one-up story of everyone. Well, anyway, so I went swimming with a, with a manta ray. It was really incredible. Um, oh, really? Well, I went swimming with a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you think swimming with a manta ray? Oh, you went swimming with sharks? Whatever. Have you ever, had, have you ever seen Tiger Week? Tiger Week, the lesser known uh, famous week on Discovery Channel. Tiger Week. Swim with the tigers. Anyway, um, crazy story. What else is happening? Let's go to Florida. A Florida woman said she was kidnapped to get out of work. A Florida panhandle woman is accused of making up a lie about being kidnapped so she wouldn't have to return to her job as a night shift nursing assistant. She made up a story. I can't come in today. I've been kidnapped. That's a little extreme. Unbelievable. What's going on with Florida? Come on, Florida. Represent. Um, morning, that she, she's a 43-year-old Beverly Brooks. A concerned co-worker noticed that Brooks did not return from her break and called to see if she needed a ride back to work. Brooks told her she was being held against her will by her boyfriend. I can't come back. My boyfriend Lenny's holding me against my will. They're really on a date at Applebee's. Yeah, can we get the blooming Onion? (laughs) I don't know where that's from. Uh, She was arrested. Well, yeah. It's not known if she's hired a lawyer or not. Again. So would you rather be arrested because you lied your way out of work and you're now supposedly being kidnapped, or would you rather swim with a tiger? Well, I guess it depends how bad the job is. That's a bad job. Uh, There's a worse job. How about the guy that has to clean up the pool after the tiger's been in the pool? It's never good, never good, folks. Uh, that's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. We're gonna take a break. We'll come back. Remember, we can't do the show without you. Tune in. Find us on Twitter at dr matt dr matt no at dr matt tw- at dr matt show. That's our Twitter handle at dr matt show. You can also find us on Facebook. We're everywhere, folks. Come on, we'll be right back with a whole new hour, new ideas, new tools, right here on the Matt Townsend Show to help you find the good in the world.
2: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Your guide on the side.
2: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at
0: Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt
1: Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. And happy dog day. Happy Dog Day to you. Oh, sit down, boy. Sit down there, little feller. Happy Dog Day.
2: Are we in the Dog Days of summer or is that past?
1: Uh, I'm not exactly sure when the Dog Days are. Well, today is Dog Day, so I'm sure we're still in the Dog Days. And it is it is summer.
2: <laughs> so there you go. Mix Man, the two it was together, hot yesterday. Uh, it was hot.
1: Is it inappropriate when I'm walking on campus to remove my shirt and just walk around bare-chested?
2: At BYU, yes, that okay. is, yeah, not appropriate.
1: Well, that's why I was getting those looks.
2: <laughs> and the police were running after That's why security's
1: like, sir, can you put your shirt back on? You're creating a disturbance. Nobody said anything. I know. It's still disturbing. Get your shirt on. Uh, it is Dog Day today. By the way, it's also Women's Equality Day, which is, you know, that's awesome. And that's probably more important than Dog Day.
2: Mm-hmm, I think so.
1: Um and uh apparently it's also cinnamon bear covered in chocolate day.
2: Yes, that's why I brought them. Uh, I just made it up but it sounded good.
1: It's a great day. It's one of my favorite days. <laughs> I feel like I'm
2: Did you get any Mike? Mike okay, says good.
1: he's trying he to yeah. he doesn't want any. He's cause... cutting
0: back I a didn't know bit. there was cinnamon inside. It was kind of a spicy surprise. He's allergic mm-hmm. to cinnamon.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, that's why he that's has why that my big face red is rash. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Okay. That's why I had to intubate. Oh. That was weird. Oh, boy. Did you hear this story about this kid? Holy cow. Somewhere out there, sad, sad day, in Taiwan, a bunch of uh, boys, they were at a museum. Here's the actual sound from it. The boy was at the museum. He had a little beverage in his hand. Mm -hmm. They're all just saying, hey, look at this art, look at this art, look at this art. And then the 12-year-old boy was taking the guided tour, and he kind of fell, and he slipped, and he fell, and he put his hand right through a painting.
2: I saw that.
1: That's what it sounded like.
2: I felt so bad for the Can boy. Can you
1: believe that? The now, painting? what if
2: that was your son? What would you have done?
1: I'd say I don't know this boy. <laughs> <laughs> who is that kid? Dad, I'm your I'm your son. I'm like who? I've never met you in my life. One point five million dollar painting. What was that sound again, Mike? That's a that's what it sounds like to rip a painting.
2: But I understand they were able to fix it right away.
1: No, they weren't. Yes, they were. Did they say that? I saw that on the news. What did today? they like? Iron a patch on the back?
2: I don't know. Whatever. I don't think they. I don't think he tore it. Whatever he did was able to be repaired.
1: Oh, that's great for yeah. him. Yeah, that's just what they're saying to make him feel better. <laughs> I don't know. It's, <laughs> Maybe so. It sounds like he tore it. No, that was it. That's the sound from. That, that was, was a the big tear. <laughs> Or was that maybe when he oh. fell? That's the sound it, my pants made um, when I bend over to pick up my keys.
2: I'm kind of thinking for something that's ex- more expensive, they should have had a bigger barrier. Yeah, maybe a glass barrier or something. It's
1: 1.5 million yeah. dollars. Yeah, you know, Lock hey, it up. buy a velvet rope. <laughs> <laughs> Anything, man. It's a. It was um, Paolo Porpora's flowers, an oil canvas, said to be about 350 years old. Oh, boy. Give or take a a century. Isn't that amazing?
2: That's my boy.
1: (sighs) Timmy, get your hand out of the painting. That's what my mom would say. If I've told you once, I've told you a dozen times, don't stick your hand through the painting. Sorry, mom. I would have just gotten out of there.
2: I would have probably run and pointed to the boy in front of me. He did it.
1: Who ripped the painting? I have no idea.
2: What? There's this, a security <laughs> camera. Oh, whoops! Hey,
1: oh, that's if you watch the
0: video, he wasn't even looking at the painting. He's got a soda in his yeah. hand, mm-hmm. and he just kind of trips and falls yeah. over yeah. into it.
1: He just kind of leaned on it. It's just a lean and <laughs> yeah, then a tear.
0: <laughs> just a, your hand going. A
2: right lean through. and a tear.
1: Lean tear. That's by the way, it's the worst tear you can have. Uh, it it's is. A lean and tear. Hey, uh, any other headlines going on, Kathy?
2: Yes, we have tragic news this morning. Police searching for a gunman who shot and killed a Virginia TV reporter and cameraman who were doing a live interview outside this morning. 24-year-old reporter Allison Parker and 27-year-old cameraman Adam Ward were killed, and the woman that was interviewed, Vicki Gardner, was shot in the back and is in surgery. The camera reportedly captured an image of the shooter. Here's WDBJ station manager Jeff Marks.
3: Uh, we do not know the motive. We do not know who the suspect or who the killer is. I cannot tell you how much they were loved, Allison and Adam, by the WDBJ-7 team. Our hearts are broken and our sympathies go to the entire staff here, but also uh, the parents and family of Adam Ward and Allison Parker, who were just out doing their job today.
2: Police reportedly have the suspect's license plate number and are chasing him on I-81. Local schools remain on lockdown. After six straight days of losses, U.S. stocks opened strong this morning. The Dow Jones Industrial Average surged minutes after the opening bell, 410 points, up 2.7 percent. Meanwhile, China stocks again closed lower today, 1.3 percent, weighing down global markets. Donald Trump continues to stir up controversy. Last night at a press conference in Iowa, Trump had Jorge Ramos, a reporter with Universe, removed after he tried asking Trump a question on immigration. Ramos was later allowed back in and asked about a wall Trump said will be built to hold back illegal immigrants. How
3: are you going to build a 1900-mile wall?
4: Very easy. I'm a builder. That's easy. I build buildings that a 94. Can I tell you what's more complicated? What's more complicated is building a building that's 95 stories tall.
2: Trump told the Today Show the reporter was totally out of line. Prosecutors have formally charged the Moroccan man who allegedly boarded a French-bound train with an AK-47 and other weapons. Prosecutors say they have evidence a suspect watched a jihadi video on his cell phone before the attack. Meanwhile, Alexander Scarlatos, one of three Americans who helped thwart the attack, will be awarded the Soldier's Medal. That's the U.S. Army's highest award for acts of heroism. Scarlatos is an Oregon National Guardsman. The woman who became known as the Dust, lady in the aftermath of the 9-11 attack has died. 42-year-old Marcy Borders was captured, covered in dust after the World Trade Center was hit. She was in one of the towers but was able to escape. Borders died of stomach cancer. A man suffered severe burns when he jumped into a hot spring to save his two dogs. The dogs were scalded to death in the Panther Creek hot springs about 50 miles northwest of Salmon, Idaho. A firefighting crew just happened to be in the area and came to the man's aid and arranged for a life flight helicopter to fly him to the hospital. Hold the special sauce, everyone. McDonald's has declined Burger King's offer to collaborate on a McWhopper with proceeds going to charity that promotes peace. Burger King was hoping its top rival would come together for one day to mix the Big Mac and Whopper to raise money. McDonald's CEO Steve Easterbrook said he loved Burger King's intentions, but thinks the two brands could do something bigger to make a difference. And if your nose has noticed the smell of urine in San Francisco, ever had that nice Uh, smell? Yeah. You're not alone. Public urination has been Become so bad in San Francisco that the city has painted nine walls with a clear repellent that goes on like paint, but mm. when urine hits it, it sprays back onto the person's shoes and trousers. <laughs> <laughs> How bad is the issue? Well, a light pole corroded by urine recently and fell on a car. The city apparently already has solar powered rolling. Rolling toilets in one neighborhood with attending inc- attendants encouraging people to use them. So people, wow. here you go. Don't go over there. Here's the rolling toilet.
1: It seems like a strange solution um, because it's good. so the urine will bounce off the wall back, back onto, onto the, the offender. Uh huh. And then that would say, I'm not going to pee in the city anymore.
2: Right? Wouldn't we'll this go just, somewhere else?
1: Uh, won't they just? go to the next corner
2: yes (laughs) so eventually they'll be spraying all kinds of walls and light poles and there's a
1: better solution just just put a like a hot live electrical wire on that (laughs) their wall
2: get shocked That that would be good
1: that dude won't be coming back for a long time Holy cow. Isn't that interesting? Uh, Of all the problems you can have. It is, though.
2: Seriously, I think when you go to San Francisco, unfortunately, that's a bad smell and you smell it.
1: Well, and the sad thing about San Francisco is it's on a hill. Mm -hmm. So all things run downstream to the great ocean. (laughs) Holy boy. I love the city. I know. I do, too. Great city. That's an issue. Great city. Great chocolate. Mm. Hey, we're going to take a break, folks. Uh, When we come back, we're going to be talking with John Shane. And what we're going to be getting into is a really interesting article that was uh, written about the cost of stress in the police force and on the police force. Are cops spending their time fighting crime or fighting their administration? There's some weird pressure going on, and you see it more and more, all these stories coming out. So now the cops don't know who's watching out for the cops. We'll be talking with John Shane when we come back. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, in the news lately, we've had a lot of different stories about police officers, you know, crossing the line, um, maybe, you know, exercising too much force. It's, it's got to be, when you think about it, one of the hardest jobs you, you could ever undertake. Uh, you, you leave every day knowing that you're going to have a chance of coming across a murderer being shot at, having to arrest somebody, having an accidental, you know, poke from a HIV-laden needle as you're searching some guy. I mean, it never ends. And yet um, the stress is enormous. And yet a lot of the stress may not even be coming from just the job, like out on the street. Sometimes the stress just comes from their administrators, the policy, the politics behind a lot of it. And you've even seen that sometimes um, they're not even getting some of the support from their own police administration when things go bad. So joining us today, we asked John Shane. He's a professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice to come join us and to help us understand the kind of stresses that the police deal with in their everyday lives based on an article that we found from Marketplace.org entitled The Cost of Stress on the Police Force. Uh, John Shane, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Great to have you here. And, I mean, honestly, it's, it's kind of a thankless job, isn't it? I mean, in the end, they're out there risking their lives every day. And even if you love them, you don't like them to pull you over.
9: Well... Yeah, you do have a point there. I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll stop short of saying it, it's thankless. There are there are certainly a lot of thankless moments. Yeah, that the pub, that the public certainly doesn't understand. But there are there's a lot of you know good that uh, you know the police contribute to society you in bet. terms of you know, recreational opportunities, economic opportunities. Uh, you cannot have a viable community with employment, recreation, good schools without having a very strong, uh, police force. And, you know, yes, uh, no, nobody likes when the lights are, are turned on behind them while they're traveling down the road, uh, above the speed limit, you know, but there, there are good reasons for that. And, and, you know, discretion certainly plays a lot into how police officers interact with members of the community. But yes, you are right. Uh, the stresses of the day-to-day operations of policing, uh, I think the research bears, uh, bears us out are are much more detrimental than the operational aspects of policing.
1: Oh yeah. In fact, th- this article that we were citing, the cost of stress in the police force, I guess there's a there's an organization called Cop to Cop, which is a twenty four hour hotline that fields up to eight hundred and fifty calls every month for stressed out police officers. And sh the, the the leader of that, Sherry Casta said um that she she's found that It's one thing's the trauma, right, of just having being a cop and exposure to murder, car accidents and hurt kids. But she said what may be even a bigger issue is simply what happens after the car chase is over the, you know, the leave, the administrative leave and having to deal with administration. Do you see that, John, in your research with police officers, that there's a lot of tension just between the the administration of the police officers and the cops?
9: The answer is 100% yes. Mm. Uh, I know Cherie very well. When she started cop to cop I was working in the Newark Police Department, and my division and myself and a couple others were instrumental in getting that operation up and running. Oh, great. Between the Newark Police Department and you know, University Hospital at the time. So we're going back now probably to about uh, 1996, 97, wow. somewhere around there, so it's up around 20 years. But the research that I've done... And uh, the interviews that I've done with police officers have certainly bear witness to the fact that it is the administrative side of policing that is much more detrimental to their emotional well-being and their stress level than it is the operation. Mm. And, and a lot of this stuff centers on things like constantly being second-guessed in the work that they do, constantly having their decisions overridden, constantly being subjected to an enormous policy and procedures manual that... Uh, covers literally everything you could think of, from the way you have to wear your uniform and your shoes and your hat to how you are to conduct yourself during a police pursuit and the reports that you are, you know, required to file, the level of bureaucracy. And most people have no real good conception of how policing is structured. You know, the, the, the image that everybody has is that of, you know, the cop's television show... Or these glamorized yeah. uh, Hollywood-style NYPD sorts of things. Yeah, but the, the reality of police work is that most police departments around the country are about 15 police officers. Some are very, very, uh, very small. But nothing like the NYPD. And there is a tremendous amount of bureaucracy and oversight that wears on you on a day-to-day basis, and until it eventually wears you down into something like suicide or alcohol. Or other performance problems,
1: oh, and then the the political side of it. And I mean, I, I was an EMT on an ambulance, and. You'd go to this you'd go to the scene and it's dangerous and we'd even sit outside and wait for the cops to go in for the dangerous thing and then clear the scene and then we would go in and take care of people. But what was so amazing to me is after all the intensity and getting everything done and you finally you risk life and limb and you get to the hospital, you get the patient taken care of, then you still have a half hour to forty minutes of paperwork and and then to have your leader come in and say no what was this and start questioning your paperwork you're like holy cow i mean yeah, that it's exactly stressful correct.
9: and 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 the, and the the idea of liability looms large behind that yeah and the fact that your hospital is going to be sued you're going to be sued personally you're going to be held accountable for a decision that you made to save someone's life within 2 seconds and someone's going to take Six months behind the scenes to critique your ideas with the with the best law books and everything else. Say, well, no, what you did was wrong, uh, and we're going to prove it to you. And here's how it works. Yeah. That's a very difficult proposition to be in on a day to day basis for twenty twenty five years of your of your career.
1: Oh, and, and and you you saw it in those funerals of those officers that were shot in New York when. There was the, you know, the people that the officers that turned their back to Mayor de Blasio and that whole kind of situation. But there's incredible tension, and these people are giving their lives, and the majority are just good folk, right? They're just good people, but they don't feel like they have their leaders, their administration backing them.
9: Yeah, there's been a lot of very, very good research uh, from the 1970s into the 1980s about the differences between what are known as management cops and operational police officers. And those at the line level many, many times feel as though the people in management don't support them, don't understand what it is they're facing, have forgotten where they've come from, and suddenly they have this management persona That is antithetical to everything that's going on in the field.
7: Mm, Yeah.
9: Now, look, I respect the fact that the community has to have the right to complain. They have to have an avenue for redress. And, you know, everybody has to, you know, be heard because there are times when police officers don't act the right way. I think we all know that. Right, right. But to have routine, mundane, everyday decisions questioned, because that is essentially what we pay police officers to do. We pay the police to make decisions on our behalf, uh, in our best interest, to keep us safe um, from all sorts of things. And at every single turn, there always seems to be someone who says, well, you know, the police could have done this, that, and the other thing, and because they didn't, we're going to hold them accountable, we're going to prefer the departmental charges against them. And, you know, next thing you know, somebody's being suspended for a decision they made that's perfectly within their right, but because someone feels that they should, they, they should have done something else, yeah. that... They are now
1: subject to departmental criticism. An, an example you give is just simply the uniform, right? So you, you, they sure. could be just simply nitpicked in their meeting, their pre-whatever meeting, just for their wrong sock colors or whatever. And um, all of a sudden, we're not only being nitpicked for what I do on the street, but I am also now have to be, be, I guess, perfect at literally everything because one complaint will come down on me.
9: Yeah, and it's those very sorts of things that weigh on you day in and day out. You see, if you face a man with a gun, if you face a car chase or a fight in the street or a domestic call or a car stop that is uh, a little bit hazardous, they are brief, momentary points in time. They come and they go. Yeah. And you can recover from them. You know, you you sit back in your car after the episode and you think about what happened, you have time to calm down. But the rule book in a police department, the rules, the regulations, the policies, the overbearing autocratic supervisor who got his or her job through nepotism and is certainly not qualified to sit there, has authority over you. And that authority never goes away. You either leave the the police organization or you learn to cope with those things. And unfortunately, there's no real coping mechanism when you've got an overbearing autocratic boss who can turn to a 700-page book and find something that you've done wrong at every single turn. Mm. That never leaves you. Where the car chase will leave you and the domestic violence episode will leave you after a brief moment, the rule book and management never leave you. You either leave police work or you learn to live with it. Learn to live with it. That, that well, often means turning to drugs, alcohol, yeah. domestic violence, you know, other maladaptive behaviors.
1: Well, and maladaptive behaviors that then may be acted out in your job again. It, it, it's, well, of course they are. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but what's. Like
9: use of force and courtesy and all sorts of other things.
1: I mean, you're talking about a 700 page rule book that's just the rule book of being the cop. That's not even just the laws they need to uphold, right? That's just the cop rule book.
9: Right, that is the rule book of the organization. Are they, and if you, it, it's very simply stated if you were to go online, uh, onto the internet, and, and Google something like uh, policy manual or department procedures or uh, some, something like rules and regulations, you can find organizational examples from across the country. Mm. And every one of them is two, three, four, five, six hundred pages. There's some on there that are 900 pages long. <laughs> nobody could possibly uh be expected to memorize that and yet someone somewhere knows what's embedded on page 543 and they're going to pull it out and use it against you
1: yeah and they may not even use it against you in the moment they just may use it against you the minute there's a complaint it's 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 well, a, it, it's tense
9: yeah that see that that's part of the problem because the human experience cannot be mathematized right, it, right. It, it's it's not by rote it's
1: it's so really situational sort of a, yeah a,
9: Yes, it's situational. It's discretionary, and someone always has a counterexample of what you should have done uh, in that moment. And that person, unfortunately, is someone sitting behind a desk somewhere who has all the time and decision-making power in the world. But you had to do this in three and a half minutes on the scene of an incident.
1: Oh, tons and of that's pressure. The yeah. real
9: difficult part about police work
1: yeah we're we're speaking with dr john shane who's a professor at john jay college of criminal justice we're going to take a break come back continue this discussion about the cost of stress in the police force and uh, i'm I'm going to ask him about also about you know cameras body cams that'll change everything (laughs) that'll make it so much easier I mean, we got to make sure they're doing their job. And yet, if we're stressing out the police, just getting them out on the street, what's going to happen, folks, when the cops won't take it anymore and they're done? Do you know a lot of people that'll just go sign up to be a cop and read a 700 manual and live it and wear a body cam and go head to head with drug dealers and criminals? We may run them right out of the system if we're not careful trying to understand the stress of being a police officer. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're talking about the cost of stress in the police force, which was an article on Marketplace.org. And uh, joining us online is Dr. J- uh, John Shane. And uh, John is a professor at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice. And he's also um, he's an expert in criminal justice and is trying to just instill in our heads and our minds what... What it's like to be a police officer? You know, we always think of just the the criminal element, the operational side of having to get in our car and go out and chase somebody. But uh, some of the research is now showing that a lot of the pressure that police officers are are feeling are are more administrative. It's dealing with their bosses. It's dealing with the, the the paperwork, the red tape, the bureaucracy. And the liability um, and, and also knowing, I guess, in the end that you have to second guess everything you're doing and not sure necessarily that your administration will have your back, um, especially in this more politically uh, heightened time where uh, so many people are critical of the police force and, and their operations. So, Dr. John Shane, welcome back. Thanks again for joining us.
9: Thank you. Nice to be here. It's a
1: great topic. I think it's a I think it's a super important topic because um, it it also seems like the administrative side is more political, maybe more tied into the mayors, the councils, the city councils. But when somebody comes out with a mandate like that, we're going to get tougher on crime and that's a political decision, then all of a sudden the police force responds in different ways to be tougher on crime. Then your second guessed for being too tough on crime. I mean, it's almost like you can't win as a police officer.
9: Yeah, look, there's a lot of good research dating back uh, into the nineteen forties and the nineteen fifties that talk about the difficulties of, of policing and how police officers are, you know, street corner politicians and the the sociology of police work that calls for the you know the wisdom of uh, Job and the uh, the strength of Samson and mm-hmm. and may use of this biblical analogy that if, if a man had all these qualities he might be a good police officer and there there really is no other profession that is as fragmented as police work and yeah. if you think about the way it's been conceptualized it's a twenty four hour seven day a week three hundred sixty five day of the year catch all agency when. All the other people go home, the people that take care of the trash and the people that take care of the animals and the people that take care of the homeless and the mentally ill, when they all go home at night at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, the only people left are the police. Yeah, And they've got to know a little bit about everything, about how to corral an animal, how to handle a mentally ill person, uh, how to handle the homeless, all these things that really have nothing to do with fighting crime, but yet the public has tasked them with it. And they don't understand the consequences of the fragmentation that they have caused.
1: Mm. Oh, totally. What, what do you think um, as, you know, as a researcher, what do you think the impact of having everybody, you know, carrying a body camera? What, what will that do? I mean, I guess in the downside, it just seems like, well, great, now more administration can, you know, micromanage. But in the good side, it's, you know, maybe every cop now has a backup.
9: Well, you look, uh, I was on uh, an evaluation team in the North Police Department in the mid 1990s when we started to pioneer dash mounted cameras in the vehicles, right That right. is now morphed into body cameras. yeah I, I could tell you from my early experiences that the dash cam video would save a police officer more often than it would hurt a police hmm. officer, and I think, uh, as time wears on we 're going to see that with body cameras, what we see right now are these sound bites and these snippets of police officers who are either making mistakes or are really engaged in some sort of aberrant behavior. Right. What you don't see are the millions and millions and millions of interactions with citizens where police officers are helping them in some way or providing them with really, really good service. You're not going to see those. They're yeah. not going to make the nightly news. The shooting will. The bad shooting will, but the the ordinary service call will not.
1: Yeah, so we, my, we do my, that. My on, on this show, we do we, – we always try to do a hero story, and the easiest hero story to find, honestly, is either a firefighter or a police officer. And those are stories that aren't always told, but it's just where the cop – just it's probably what's done every day, all day long, and and it seems like a big deal because we don't ever hear about it.
9: Well, I you know I I, I should I should say you're it's not that you're never going to hear of those stories. I should I probably shouldn't use such firm language, but what I mean to say is that the media is generally not attracted to those sorts of stories. I, I mean I praise you for yeah. the effort. Yes,
1: but yeah, they but don't. Mainstream That's right.
9: Media. Yeah, they're they're not they're not really talking about those Mm-mm. things. They consider that well, this is what the police are supposed to do. Yeah. Um. So let's not let's not waste our time talking about the things that they should do.
1: What What's the future? I you,
9: if I were out there today, I'd rather have a body camera than not have one.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would too. And I'd make sure it's on all the time. And I'd make sure I. I mean, you know, frame every picture because I. I wanted. I want. But see, think of that now. I guess what it is now, it's, it's, it's this trust-but-verify idea. Now it's really just verify. Trust, we may give well, you or we so may not, but verify it.
9: That's a very good way to put it, yes. And everything is right away, let's go back to the body cam, let's go back to mm-hmm. the dash cam, and let's verify whether or not what was said was true. And, you know, those sorts of things have caught citizens... In lies about the police officer. Yeah, uh, but at the same time, it has it has ensnared a few cops that have done uh, the wrong thing, you know, purposely or just you know made made mistakes.
1: Which is good, right? And and we we want to stop th- that that percent from making such serious mistakes. And also, we don't want to stress out our cops. We've got about a minute left. What would you say, John? About what's what could we just do? What should we be like? looking for or pushing for from our political leaders maybe that might create a a healthier less stressful cop
9: well i think there's a there are a number of things first of all recruiting uh recruiting a a better quality police officer and establishing mandatory minimum standards instead of relying on you know discretion and discretion or nepotism that have been so flagrant in policing for years uh, the second thing is providing police officers with the best training possible. There's a wide variety of training uh, all across the country. It's not consistent. A lot of the training does not meet national standards. And the third thing is getting the community and our political leaders to understand what police work is actually like. And, you know, running them through what's called a citizen's police academy, where the police department uh, takes – community leaders, clergy, members of the business community, run them through what we call a citizen's police academy, uh, generally about 15 weeks, one a week, every night of the week for 15 weeks, to explain to them you know, the constitutional limitations of policing yeah. and what it's like to be confronted with someone with a gun and make a decision in a fraction of a second.
1: Boy, what an eye that's opener! Not
9: really happening.
1: Yeah, yeah what an absolutely w- what an eye opener to be able to get your mayor to do that, so he has a he has a feel for what's really going on on the street. Well, Doctor John Shane, we appreciate you. Keep up the great work in um, in researching at least what's going on with our police officers and all of us. Again, I, I'm worried that you know there's going to be a day where the cops are just going to walk away. And they won't because that's their job and they're that they're that willing to do it, but. If we keep making it so hard on them to do their job, you're going to find out very quickly how bad you need them. So, uh, you know, let's let's unite and take care of them. We'll take a break. Uh, Appreciate that great interview with Dr. John Shane. We'll be right back uh, and be talking to our buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Who let the dogs out? Well, uh, we know who let them out. Jeremy Bryan down there at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen.
10: We let them out a long time ago, and it's become this huge <laughs> deal. Like, everyone cares or cared.
1: Yeah, you let out some dogs, and everyone freaks out on you. I know, it's weird. Hey, guess what today is? I don't have any it's idea. The end of ever. fall camp. Nope. nope. That's right. That's nope. what it actually nope. is. What it's, else is it? It's dog day. It's Dog right. Day. Today's Dog Day, the day we celebrate the dog. All right. That's cool.
11: dog day. Okay, that I cool. Go do something with my dog. Too. Hey, you, you dog? should. Yeah,
7: you have? It?
1: Got Bro-
11: a, I, got a, I got a boxer. Oh, cute. She'll be one in December. Aww. Oh, no. little cool puppy. Yeah. Isn't that
1: cute. Well, she's big now. I can just see you just kissing each other.
11: Yeah, she loves me. She likes guys a of lot more than than girls.
1: She's a womanizing dog, <laughs> or what's that? A man? I, it, yeah. That sounds weird. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, you know what? I don't want to brag, but President Clinton had a dog that was a chocolate lab, and she licked me.
11: Mm. Did you never wash that?
1: I have yet everybody? to wash that hand.
11: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I've got bacteria that's like 20 years old on my hand right now. <laughs> no, uh, true fact, but I don't want to brag about it. Hey, guess who's on my show today, guys? Who's I've got on the, your show? I've oh, got oh the ins- Emily uh, Hill. How did you know that?
10: The internet,
1: the interweb. Mm-hmm. Um, Google. Well, we've got some inside scoop that you What'd guys she say. Well, Taysom's Taysom's gonna last the whole year. Oh. she says his leg is really strong. She, she says it's like
10: possibly predict that.
1: She says it's four times stronger than her leg.
10: I hope so. <laughs> I, yeah, me too. Now she's like the, uh, she's rehab wonderful and
11: everything. You know, when you get hurt and you and you have to rehab somebody, it's, it's usually usually come back stronger.
1: Yeah. Oh, he's stronger.
10: Yeah, and she's, she's cool. So she's the sister of one of our yeah. analysts, David Nixon. David so Nixon. We know David, so we know she's fantastic.
1: And I asked, I asked about like the family reunion. Does David Nixon ever just go tackle Taysom? And she's like, no.
10: <laughs> they don't wrestle.
1: No. I mean, wouldn't that be cool to see? Because he's a linebacker. He was a linebacker, right? Yeah, just no him. one wants that, Matt. No one wants Taysom Hill tackled the entire year no but wouldn't that be cool just like Taysom's just getting his dinner and he's at the table getting food and david nixon out of nowhere just comes and tackles him <laughs> that would be seriously cool video that would the, make the family broken
10: collarbone and everyone's angry yeah
1: and he's pulling like if
10: for some reason we don't bring david back
1: <laughs> if that happened, be like, he's Sorry, pulling david. three bean salad out of his hair how cool would that be I mean, I'm just you know, I'm Jello a visual with guy. Shredded carrots, and, yeah. his shirt and
10: stuff. Ew, carrots! I know Disgusting. it's weird. See, that's what
1: we bring you from this show. See, you guys always do the sports side, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? We brought the sensitive <laughs> Emily Hill side. oh uh-huh. no,
10: that that is cool that you have uh,
1: Holly Mendenhall yeah, on. I'm telling you. Emily, we're gonna Hill. What we're getting is we're actually getting what we call the shadow sports department. The people that really make the sports happen at BYU. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are called the athletes. The wives of the athletes. Yeah. They're the ones.
10: The wives, ones. Club. Yeah, the wives I, club. That's the thing. The Only club.
1: at BYU, man. I Life know. Because if, if, if Emily said, no, you taste them, you're not playing today. You sit back down. He'd, I would say, he'd Emily, sit, please step aside. He'd sit right uh, down. Yes. Though. He would because <laughs> that's how much he loves her.
11: I would rally a group of 20 and uh, go
1: physically and go, remove her yeah. put her aside. You'd, yeah. yeah, you'd kidnap her for a day. I uh, wouldn't do that. No, that's getting odd. Hey, um, what? Uh, what's you guys doing? Are you doing your show thing today? We I mean, are. Is that going on?
10: Uh, today's the final day of fall camp. Oh. So we're going to discuss our biggest takeaways. Good, good. Through fall camp. Tomorrow, we will name this. This is the thing we do on BOE Sports Nation the fall camp MVP. We will name this person tomorrow. Oh. Today's the final day. We can go watch some practice, do some interviews before they. Begin official preparations for Nebraska, Excellent. only 10 days away.
1: Yeah, That'll I be like good. that. That's great. Vic
10: Sooto will be on the show for him, BYU Cougar. He uh, played in the NFL as well for six different teams. He'll weigh in on what he's seeing at fall camp, plus the men's basketball team just finished a 4-0 run in Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about our biggest takeaways. Uh, this team is developing right before our eyes, a little more balance, but we'll tell you who's sticking out and what's going on with this team as we have four games someone got an email Yeah got four it ga- four <laughs> games of uh, you know the Spanish trip to look at and kind of evaluate That's some great. some interesting storylines going on there See
1: Oh man you did well, it Brian again. Logans here so it's a very exciting day B- Plus Brian Logans there and when Brian's there we always have we just have more camaraderie Ju-
10: I think we have more juice. Uh, more That's juice. What That's yeah. what
1: I was trying to think of the best I word. Have more for swag. It. I bring some swag.
10: swag. Yeah, Sw- yeah. I bring Br- a little bit of color.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Brian brings some color to the BYU broadcast broadcasting studio. Anyway, crickets. I like, I like, I like swag. <laughs> you
11: respond to that. You can't.
1: You uh, can't really respond to that. And I there like juice. There, there we go. Well, guys, have a great show. Knock them dead. Thank you. I know you will. And uh, Brian, bring the juice. I will. Bring the it's juice. It's already
11: been brought in.
1: Done, done. Juiced it already. <laughs> okay. Good luck, Sunbury guys. Bottom. Have fun. Yeah. Don't know. It's a different kind of juice. Oh. Okay. He brings that, the the kinder gentler juice. Yeah. Well, guys, have a great show. Yeah. Knock him dead. Good stuff. He does bring the he brings the juice. Who brings the juice on our show? Uh, We're juiceless. Yeah. We need some.
0: I'll I'll get on it. I'll, I'll look some recipes up and
1: nah. Uh, maybe. Nah. Not. I'm good. I'm good. Don't do any recipes. Hey, let's talk about this. Holy cow. Two men arrested Sunday for shooting on top of an elementary school in Fort Bend, right? So they're just shooting a gun. On, but this, this this is a shooting that has a twist, right? So listen to this. Fort Bend. There it is. There's the twist. Fort Bend County Sheriff's Office responded to calls about shots being fired off the roof of Velasquez uh, Elementary School around eight a.m. This is eight a.m. in the morning. A handgun and shell casings were found. A couple of t- a thirty-year-old and a twenty-year-old were taken into custody. And um, on the scene, holes were found in some of the rooftop equipment. But one of the men was playing bagpipes on the roof. I mean, honestly, what when you get up in the morning? I like to grab me my bagpipe and my twenty-two and go start taking shots of both types. The weapon shot and the alcoholic imbibery shot. Unbelievable. That's that's what we call come on. That's ridiculous. Oh come on! Who who fires? off a roof or fires off of an elementary school roof at 8 in the morning, let alone plays the bagpipes. I shoot better when you play the bagpipes. Come on, Danny. I need me some bagpipery. I wonder if he was wearing a kilt.
0: It, it just doesn't sound as good it's if the, you don't have a kilt on at the same time.
1: I can't shoot me gun without a kilt and a bagpipe.
0: So wait, we don't have an explanation for that though. No. That doesn't make any sense.
1: Well, what that usually means in news jargon is somebody was was drunk. <laughs> and if I'm a betting man, two of them were drunk, the 20-year-old and the 30-year-old. And then they both said, hey, grab your weapon of choice. And one grabbed his bagpipe thinking it was his gun. And the other guy just grabbed a gun. Unbelievable. But again, you think you have it bad, folks? Your life is good compared to these two. So what were you arrested for, Danny? I was playing me bagpipes on top of the elementary school. It's unbelievable. And then my friend Jimmy started shooting guns. I don't understand it. Here's another story by police. Um, police officers in the Indian city of Rajura detained a parrot for allegedly cursing at an <laughs> 85-year-old woman. The parrot was reportedly trained for two years in the finer points of obscenity by his owner for the sole purpose of abusing his 85-year-old stepmother. Oh, my heavens. He trained up his parrot to be able to swear and use obscenities about his stepmother. Poor stepmothers. What did they ever do to you? Come on. Teach is that the parrot? That's the parrot. We're not going to get an obscenity here, are we? I hope not. That The parrot. <laughs> I hate you, lady. You drive me crazy. Unbelievable. Anyway, we watched the parrot carefully, but it did not utter a word at the police station after it was arrested, by the way. Have you ever cuffed a parrot? Unbelievably difficult. They've got such little wrists. They slip out. They slip right out. They slip the cuffs every So they So they usually just cuff it right around its chest. <laughs> it's really sad. Uh, despite the lack of proof because they took it into custody and the, this darn thing wouldn't talk. I wonder if they read the Miranda rights. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say canon will be used against you in the court of law. Tough cookie to crack. Tough, tough cookie to cracker. Polly, want a cracker? <laughs> tough cookie to cracker. Anyway, um, the, the the woman supposedly was harassed and, um, you know, the foul-mouthed parrot and its owners, you know, were handed over to the forestry officials. So there you go. A little headline for you out of India, arresting the parrots. Here's our hero of the day. As you know, we like to always uh, honor one hero of the day. Today, that hero is a teenager from Ireland. On his way to the candy shop, Jamie came upon a man he didn't know, and the three words he said to him changed his life forever. Jamie Harrington, a teenage boy from Ireland, was headed to the American candy shop to buy a Gatorade one morning when he happened upon a man on the ledge of a bridge. Jamie was worried, so he stopped and asked the man, Are you okay? The man didn't say anything, but he suddenly saw tears coming from his eyes. Jamie then stayed, the ma- stayed with the man, pleading with him to come down, sit on the pavement with him, Eventually, the man came down off of the bridge and the two sat there together and talked. We sat on the sidewalk and talked for about 45 minutes about what was happening to him and why he was feeling the way he did. Jamie really needed to get going, but not wanting to leave the man alone, Jamie called an ambulance to come pick him up. The two exchanged numbers and Jamie left. The man was taken to the hospital where Jamie was assured he was okay. About three months ago, Jamie told us that he received a text message from the man telling him that his wife was pregnant with a boy and they were going to name it after him Jamie said can you believe it they're going to name the child after me he said in that moment that I approached him he was about to jump and those few words saved his life they're still ringing in his head today are you okay I can't really understand how those few words could save his life but he told me imagine if nobody had asked me those two words this story was posted on the Humans of Dublin Facebook page earlier this week Jamie Harrington, a teenager, asking three simple words. Are you okay? One question, three words, changed a man's life. He's the hero of the day on The Townsend's Heroes. What a stud. We're going to end the show on that one, folks. You all have that same power. Look out for each other. Just simply care enough to ask the question, hey, are you okay? We need more of that around this world and around our lives. So please... uh, Do it. Do it for your family. Come back tomorrow. We're here again another day, another opportunity to find the good in the world. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. Until tomorrow, make it a great one, folks.